It happens every year. Pencils, toothpaste, loose change, trick-or-treaters, cheated out of their treats, trail mix, soap, a battery? Don't be that house. This year, find all your Halloween goodies online or in-store at Smart and & Final and give them something good to eat. Now at Smart & Final, get a free Halloween tote bag with any purchase of $50 while supplies last. Hey, sports fans, football season's here, and it's time to get in on the action with MyBookie. MyBookie is the industry-leading sports betting website that offers real Vegas odds on football, baseball, and all your favorite sporting events. You can take a side, the total, or even fantasy points props. MyBookie lets you bet online and win big. Did the game already kick off? Don't sweat it. MyBookie has in-game live betting on every major league and event even esports. There's no better time to join MyBookie than today. Go to MyBookie to open an account and start winning. Use promo code CHAMPION when you register for your account and get a 100% sign-up bonus up to $1,000 on your first deposit. Bet today. Visit MyBookie's website or call 844-866-2387. That's 844-866-2387. Check them out today and use promo code CHAMPION for a 100% bonus. Terms and conditions apply for entertainment purposes only. Void where prohibited. Welcome into the Bird Gang Blitz podcast. Uh, we got a lot to talk about tonight. Uh, we, we can listen here to one of the best hours of Cardinals talk on the radio, all Bird Gang Noble. I'm joined here with my podcast co-host, Johnny, living all the way out over there in the Chi-Town area. John, how are you doing tonight? <laughs> uh, I'm doing okay. After what we saw yesterday, it's good to have a a point of uh, you know frustration period here, uh, 24 hours after probably the worst Cardinal loss uh, since that infamous Seahawk game of 2012, the 58 to nothing shutout. Not quite that bad, but offensively, I, I can't imagine a worse start. Gosh, yeah, I know. I even predicted it. That's what I think is most disappointing is I even went and predicted ahead of time. I think it was even in a reply to one of your tweets. I said, my prediction for this game is that the Cardinals are going to be uh, having a closer to that 58-0 to game than they would be the last week's game in 24-6. They're playing a better team with the Rams, and they did not cross midfield until there's about 15 seconds left. I just want to go over just a couple of the stats that were the Cardinals have scored six points the two weeks. There's a minus 52-point differential. You're talking about five first downs yesterday. Three of those first downs came on that final drive when it was you know complete garbage time, end of the day. You're looking at a offensive production that's not been this pitiful since 1945. I mean, like the <laughs> you're talking about, you know, the, the the Nazis were still like an actual thing in Germany the last time the Cardinals were this bad. John, what where do we even start with this? Like, how much of this do we put on Sam Bradford? How much of this is on Steve Wilkes with the defense? There's all these changes and switches. How much of this is on Mike McCoy? What's kind of the feedback that Cardinals fans should be looking at right now? Because everything that I can see all across the net is fans are absolutely livid. Like, I haven't seen since probably that 2012 year when the Cardinals end up in the top five pick, and, and they look worse this year so far. Yeah, they look way worse. That 2012 team, if you if you can remember, they were terrible at the quarterback position, but the, at least they had, you know, in the prime Larry Fitzgerald. Larry only had about eight 900 yards that season, but they could still kind of move the ball. They just had problems cashing in in the end zone. I think we all remember, you know, the Atlanta game, Skelton missing Larry wide open in the end zone. Like, those kind of things stick with you. But, again, like, the, the league has evolved. That was, like, six years ago, seven years ago. The game is tailor-made now for offenses to be productive. 
I mean, you used to be able to tout the fact that, okay, if, if, if I'm a quarterback and I have, you know, more touchdowns than interceptions, I've had a good season, right? Or if I throw for 3,000 yards, I've had a good season. Or if I get close to 60%, I've had a good season. Now it's like, you know, guys like Alex Smith get shipped out of town if they don't start pressing for 25, 30 touchdowns, if they're not eclipsing 4,000 yards consistently, Kirk Cousins gets moved out of town because the Vikings want, or the Redskins want more out of the quarterback position. It's just, it's crazy now the expectation of the league because the league has changed. And that should only help the Cardinals with the ascension of Josh Rosen. But right now what you're seeing is something that I didn't think was, was possible. Again, I think, Blake, most fans were realistic coming into the Rams game. I thought they'd be a little bit more competitive than the week before and kind of fall off in the latter half of the second half because of the talent differential. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I didn't expect that. I thought that the Cardinals may be able to score a touchdown or two just based on momentum, based on the fact that they were embarrassed the week before. I mean, like week one was a legit embarrassment against a, a, what we now consider an average to below average Redskin team that was essentially shut out offensively by a terrible Colts roster at home. And the Cardinals were destroyed by that team, both offensively and defensively. Again, I'll go back to the fact that, you know, at the, the beginning of the offseason, I thought it would take the defense at least a quarter of the season, if not longer, to get into a groove. I didn't think they'd be seat, uh, sitting their, you know, their two first-round linebackers in the mm-hmm. process, but I thought there'd be growing pains. Offensively, I thought that the smart play, again, broken record, would have been to start Rosen from week one, let him go through his groin pains. And eventually heading into 2019, you've got a, you got a young man who should be on the rise. Like a lot of these second year quarterbacks, like Carson Wentz, like Patrick Mahomes guys who, and I know Mahomes sat loud last year, but that they had a proven quarterback in front of them. Right. Now, the point I'm trying to make is, you know, I expected growing pains early, but there, there would have been dividends from those. I don't see any kind of building blocks right now outside of maybe Robert Kendici on the defensive line. He's maybe been the only kind of, bright spot for this team on either side of the ball defensively again I think that poor offensive play poor quarterback play can bring the whole team down you know giving field position midfield special teams didn't help them at all I actually thought they played okay defensively in the first half and then the second half just clearly and this is another problem in and of itself kind of quit on Steve Wilkes mm-hmm. uh, they got a, they they got a uh you know they forced a punt and it's, these are the small victories you have to have. They forced a punt, punt in the first possession, and the Cardinals got the ball and picked up a first down. And from there, it was just like, what is this team become offensively now? Uh, are you going to have to start asking yourself the question, was Steve Kime, was Bruce Arian Steve Kimes Kurt Warner? In the sense that after Kurt Warner left, and it was just Ken Wisenhunt, that team looked so inept mm-hmm. on offense. Now – Arians is gone. It's Kimes hire, his second hire at, at, you know, the head coaching spot. And Wilkes looks completely over his head. We'll get into the press conference. That was depressing. I don't think you can pick just one spot. Again, I think the the offensive struggles magnify how poorly the defense is playing by kind of by default. But you look around the league, a lot of defenses are playing poorly. Saw that shootout in Pittsburgh with Kansas City. New England's defense looks terrible. A lot of defenses, granted, they have, you would think, less talent than the Cardinals. Just because the Cardinals have had a top five defense for the past, what, three or four years, doesn't mean that it's going to carry over every year. We've seen that now. 
We've seen regression from some of these players that Steve Kime has drafted. And yes, the drop-off has been disappointing. But again, they're changing systems. And that's, that's to a point where I was going to give this team a lot of time, a lot of rope. This is one of the worst offensive starts in the history of the NFL, not for the car in the history of the league. Mm-hmm. They, they have six points in eight quarters. I didn't even think that was possible to do. I mean, no, you figured it's they, crazy. crazy. you'd figure they'd get a turnover and they'd have, you know, an opportunity to have a short field. Even so they didn't cross the 50 until the fourth quarter. It's embarrassing. It all goes back in my opinion to two things. The, the, the uh, acquisition of Bradford in the off season, which a lot of people questioned, rightfully so, and then the hiring of Mike McCoy, which a lot of people questioned, and rightfully so. It's Cardinal fans are really kind of two for two this offseason, and national media, you know, uh, you know in, that, in that category as well, of, of questioning these moves and saying, you know, this is just kind of dumb. Like, I don't know what you're doing, but I don't agree with it. You're giving Bradford $15, 20000000 million a year. You're, you're hiring Mike McCoy. He's fired midseason by the Broncos. But the Cardinals tried to put a spin on it, and Kime tried to put a spin on it. Wilkes, we loved the hire at the time, and we liked the defensive staff and the upgrade on the special teams. But now it's like it, it's, it could not have gone worse. And I'll let you take over, Blake, to, to break down the numbers a little bit more because they are just so mind-boggling. I know the, number, the numbers are abysmal. One of the biggest things you can say is that uh, in a year where you're right, defenses are struggling – because offenses, the rules, however it's changed without the high passing attacks, everything is built around the offenses being able to, you know, run a ton of plays, being able to throw the ball downfield, being able to even have these rushing attacks. The Cardinals are only averaging about 47 plays, like, per game at least for that one. That's, like, by far the fewest. Like, they only, I believe, like, had um, – I think it was like something like like 14 plays in the first half of the first game. They had 18 plays in the first half of this game. They improved it by four. That just counts from their first down. They're getting about like less than, I think it's like about a a six hundredths. I think it's like, what is it? Like six, ten, six hundredths uh, of a point per play, basically. Like that. you're talking about like the fact that they're really averaging, you know, under one point per quarter, at least right now. Uh, They basically have the, they started the year, I think, is four for 20 right now on third down. So whenever they get to third down, they're completing a one out of 20. And that, I believe, includes, you know, like the first downs that you're talking about on third down, like that they got at the end play. It's like one third down a game, basically. And they've got the fewest points of, of any team in the past decade. So you're talking about, like, we talked about going back to 1945. This is like the fewest points of any team in any decade starts. You're talking of this a decade to start. So it's just so embarrassing as far as for when you're talking about how this is a team that has Larry Fitzgerald. David Johnson they have a veteran quarterback under center at least and the offensive line has not been bad Sam Bradford's had three sacks through the first two games that's kind of what's been the craziest part I think overall so when you're breaking down the numbers you take a look there's times where there's been pressures and other stuff sure but Sam Bradford you know he's averaging three yards of throw that's like the best way you can look at is the entire offense I can't even fathom how bad that is the entire offense is built around the fact of that you're basically not trusting your offensive line to hold up, which granted may or not, you're not even kind of giving them the chance. You're basically saying our entire strategy as an offense is to not use David Johnson by running him downfield. It's to try to keep Sam Bradford healthy and upright. And so if that's your strategy and you're basically saying we're so desperate not to go to this rookie, then you should have had no reason to draft the rookie. It, it's counterintuitive for that one. So the entire way that we talked about with Mike McCoy, when we entered in, we you know, had talked about with the way the NFL has changed, you want to try to find 
a kind of a younger up-and-coming creative offensive coordinator who's able to take the way that the college game has been able to create space, be able to move things around, be able to use David Johnson creatively to try to find mismatches. And instead what we're looking at and we're seeing is basically running the same play straight ahead into the other side with David Johnson throwing it to him two times in this game. One of them was basically like a hospital ball, which I'm, I'm glad that David didn't get a concussion from the play. And another time just kind of as a check down, where I believe he was tackled immediately. And you're really just seeing this lack of creativity. You're, when you're talking about the lack of creativity, it's almost like the the, the team is they're saying the – the biggest thing we know is we know that Sean Bradford's arm is shot. We even got to see it again in this game. He, the longest pass play of the game, I believe, was like about a 23-yard play, at least to Fitzgerald. The other wide receivers have had struggles separating, but it looked like Sam Bradford was putting like all of his arm into that throw for just what should be kind of a standard intermediate pass play. And that's kind of the biggest thing is if you can't throw deep, then teams are going to load the box. We talked about this in week one. They're going to basically stop you. And right now the Cardinals are really just not able to get it because – even when they have Sam Bradford has just been off. So let's, let's take a look. So Sam Bradford overall for his career, looking at a guy who he's got, you know, about two touchdowns to, you know, like maybe about, you know, one to one and a half picks or so, about 101 career touchdowns. He's got 59 interceptions, about an 85 career pass rating. Okay, that, that's about as average as it comes in the NFL. It's still not great, but it's still not going to be as far as for with bad. You're still looking at a guy who will throw two touchdowns, he'll throw a couple of picks. This year so far, it's at a 55 career or 55 rating right now. He's got 243 yards total for the season. He's got two picks, no passing touchdowns. He's just right now. You're just looking at this brutal, brutal passing attack. That's not even an attack. It's not even like you can even say a dink and dunk. Sam Bradford, he's basically shot. It looks like it's Matt Schaub at the end of his Texans tenure. It's that bad where you just know that if he's going to throw an out route for that, that ball's going to get picked and go back the other way for six. So the Cardinals are clearly trying to see if they can scheme to try to avoid it, try to avoid risk, see if they can let their defense win games. But the defense isn't doing much either. They've had 59 points that have been scored on them to start the year. It's just been brutal. Um, Kandichi's been kind of the lone bright spot. He still has had struggles in the run game overall, whether it's coming with gap integrity. But he's still been showing more than most of the team. Chandler Jones has been ineffective. Patrick Peterson had a pick the other day, but he also was not lined up on Brandon Cooks. So he got to torch the cards for over 100 yards. Just some of the decisions that you're seeing, at least, whether it was taking players off of the field, like a five-year veteran and Dale Buchanan having to start undrafted free agent rookies, whether that's a reflection on Steve Keim or whether it's a reflection on the coaching staff. It's just the entire thing you can kind of look at this team and say, all right, you know what? This is it. This isn't a, you know, the, the ship has, you know, got a broken rudder. This isn't kind of we got a couple of leaks we need to patch up here. This is kind of a the Titanic has been torn in half and it's going down. And you just don't really feel that the coaching staff has the ability to kind of rectify or fix it. And it doesn't feel like they seem to really accept everything that's really what's going on. Yeah, that's the scariest part is when you – if you were able to watch that Wilkes press conference live – and I caught most of it. He looked like a guy, kind of a deer in the headlights look. Uh, week two, I don't think he planned on having these conversations. I don't know what he expected the Cardinal record to be. But, I mean, when you are, you know, facing historic ineptitude offensively and having to answer questions about the quarterback situation this early because of how ineffective you've been offensively to the point where it's kind of a national joke – and oh, not to mention your defense is underperforming. I mean, it get the hot seat gets hot real quick. Now, I think you know, fair point can be can be made that the talent on this team is not what I think a lot of people thought it was. 
probably from the local media. I think national media pegged the Cardinals to be one of the worst teams in the league. But there's being the worst team in the league or one of the worst teams and being just an, a, a complete embarrassment laughing stock. And even Buffalo is putting up points in the second half. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like – In garbage they, time, they can at least score in garbage. Right. They at least the have car- enough of a functional offense to right. get down the field and to throw for a touchdown in garbage time. That's right. Like, the Cardinals – defensively I think are just not performing well right now I think you could just but I don't it's not like a historically bad start defensively to the season how poorly they are offensively cannot be really kind of I don't know specified in this conversation without really diving into the numbers I mean you mentioned Bradford's you know pass per attempt pass per completion the team has gone two two games without throwing a touchdown pass. Now, granted, he had one dropped in complete garbage time with Ricky Seals Jones two weeks ago, but still, I mean, like I don't I don't know how many times they've gotten into the red zone, Blake. I think it's probably maybe maybe two the two times that at the end of the Washington game. I, I think that's probably it. And then again, they didn't cross the fifty in the Rams game until the fourth quarter. I mean, like that's that's almost impossible. Unless you're playing like the the 2000 Ravens in their prime or the Seahawks of a couple of years ago in Seattle when the Cardinals were sporting John Skelton in that game, I mean, like that's when that those kind of things are supposed to happen. The, the scary part is is the fact that they're sticking with Bradford. You're going to go up against the Chicago defense right now with Vic Fangio that looks much improved. You're going to put Bradford on display with your home crowd. I mean, what is State Farm thinking? State Farm investing 18-year contract with the Arizona Cardinals and giving them boatloads of money. And, like, this is how you perform? Now, I know that, you know, it's a, it's a long-term play, and the Cardinals have a lot of value, you know, outside of their team right now, believe it or not. But, I mean, how far are you, are you willing to set this franchise back? Because right now you're, you're teetering on the break of, oh, is this a team on the rise kind of nationally? Are they taking that next ascension kind of like – the Atlantas of the world, the Carolinas of the world, who may not have a Super Bowl trophy but are in contention every year, or are you, are you going back down to the cellar with the likes of the Jets, the Browns? You know, the Lions look like they're headed in that direction now where they've got, you know, a coach that players are quitting on. You know, I don't want to go that far with Steve Wilkes, but, man, the, the players to me look disinterested. They looked out of position. I'm sure they don't believe what is being taught because – Right now, you're, you're seeing on the field it's not producing one way or the other. And I'll go even as far to say that this week, I think, is a pivotal week for the entire coaching staff. I'm not saying you have to win the game. Plenty of teams started off 0-3. Talk about the Niners last year. We were like 0-10, won six out of their last seven games or something like that, five out of their last six. And they were everybody's darling team coming into this year. So they could turn it around, and I think they will once Rosen plays. But if – if you start 0-3 and you don't have a touchdown through this next half of football against the Bears, which, you know, outside of like a long kick return or, again, a turnover, I don't, I don't think this, this team is capable of putting together, uh, you know, an 80-yard drive, a 75-yard drive with Bradford at the helm. Do you, Blake? No, no. The, the biggest thing, at least, you're looking at right now is, it's it, again, as we said, the offense is broken. And what that really means ultimately is, is like, if you've got Bradford at the helm, you're going into this week three. Are, what exactly are you going to be expecting to be 
different because <laughs> that was the biggest thing about what the previous week and this week is Sam Bradford right now is basically shown that he's been a broken, ineffective and inaccurate quarterback. And you're going in basically against uh, arguably a just as good of a defense, maybe even a better uh, overall pass rush on the edge with Khalil Mack, depending. And you're expecting there to be something different. I'm, it's more of just the, the best way to think of it is kind of insanity, at least of doing that same thing again and again and again. That's really what kind of the Cardinals are seeming to commit to. And as we'll get into in a minute, but that really was kind of the key that was fed back in from Steve Wilkes at his press conference today. So let's go ahead and kind of break down when we're going to go ahead and look at what's going to be kind of the root cause for that one. Is it going to be the overall coaching staff? Is it just the fact that Sam Bradford, and when you switch out Bradford for Rosen, you'll start to see improvement. Um, is it going to be totally just based around Mike McCoy? John, what are your thoughts at least overall about while we kind of get into this as far as for breaking down, like what's kind of the root cause that you're seeing at least for why the Cardinals haven't been not just bad, but historically bad. Yeah, I think it's a combination of play calling and, and the, Poor quarterback play. I think we saw a nice breakdown on Twitter today about how poor, poorly used David Johnson is specifically in the passing game. No real creativity. They're having him run kind of routes over the middle. No swing passes, no check downs in terms of, you know, bubble screens out of the backfield. I mean, the creativity with David and the run game is just, I mean, it's, it's egregious. And the Cardinals aren't well equipped to run the ball every down. I think that was kind of the misconception of, you know, then we're going to come in and plow people off the ball. You've got a rookie center against Donald and Sue this week. You've got Justin Pugh, who's probably more thought of as a, as a pass protector, not so much as a great run blocker. I mean, he's fine in both, but he's not, you know, an all pro elite run grader. Ayupati's on his last leg. Humphreys is up and down, but he can be a feasible run blocker. And then you've got John Wilson at right tackle. So again, I think part of the reason that this team is struggling is that they can't establish the run, but even so, it's hard to establish the run when you're going three and out because if you're running three straight plays and you're not picking up a first down, you're off the field. And then asking Bradford to do the bare minimum, and he can't do that right now, teams are going to stack the box. Receivers are open. Separation is there. They're about McCoy until, again, his real test will be when Rosen plays and when he's able to get out of Josh. But, you know, Bradford – I mean, look at his stats from this week. 17 of 27, 90 yards, 90 yards, 3.3 yards per, uh, per, per completion and an interception. He's got two picks on the year. Uh, he is completing 60% of his, of his throws, though, his check downs. Um, but, again well, – Of course he is. They're, like, yeah. you know, less than five yards from the line of scrimmage. Like, I could probably complete 60% of my throws, at least, for the most part, if I'm just releasing it, like, fast like that all the time, at least. Yep. He's, I mean, like Mike Jarecki, who works for the team now, said today on his Periscope that, like, yeah, he's, he's just afraid to get hit. And he kind of, like, said it nonchalant of, like, well, isn't that kind of a problem? Yeah. Like, of course, <laughs> of course he's afraid to get hit. He's a beat-up, decrepit old quarterback. I mean, he's, like, I think he's, like, in his early 30s. But physically, he's built like a 40-year-old man. Multiple knee surgeries. Again, he was probably done a disservice in those early years in St. Louis, but that's not the Cardinals' fault, right? We're, we're getting the Sam Bradford of, of 2018 by far the worst quarterback in the NFL that's starting games. He is probably worse than, I would say, 75 of, of competent backups in the NFL. I mean, I would take Drew Stanton over him. I would take uh, I, Mike Glennon, I think, at least. Mike Glennon, you made a good point, Blake. He got benched last year for doing far more than what Sam Bradford is doing right now with the Cardinals. But it's a combination, I think, of stubbornness by the team because, like you said, for whatever goddamn reason, they made him a captain before the season, which was a 
complete mistake. I don't know if the players voted on him. That's great. Yeah, but- players voted for him. He kind of, from what I've at least told people, it's like, look, through the camp and the practices, he kind of earned the job as far as for the different steps that were there. The biggest take was from the preseason. You're like, okay, you're not seeing like the complete picture. You're seeing a lot of the dinking, the dunking. And really, if he was hitting on those dinks and dunks, it'd be fine. But he's still missing some of those with poorly placed balls. So it's one of those spots of where I don't put, I understand at least with some of the area. And for me, my, my take at least on him starting next week, because Seabilt's basically like kind of all but confirmed he'll start this next week is you kind of give it one more chance and you recognize that if Josh Rosen comes in starts winning games starts playing well you can always literally just say oh yeah we're just going to add another captain badge at least for it for that one too and I so I've got no problem with that if that ends up being the case but for me the biggest thing is it comes down to Mike McCoy and this offense ultimately is I, I was told at least before when McCoy was signed is like so what's the biggest thing I can at least expect from McCoy this is from you know with Den- with Denver what's the biggest thing with McCoy like he was run out of there this is a guy who would spend plenty time around Carolina he'd been trusted kind of by you know Steve Wilkes from having some of that Carolina mentality uh the big question was is this a guy who we should be like we're going to be regretting this hire or is this going to be like uh you know kind of a new kind of turning it over the biggest thing that I heard at least is that Mike McCoy his, his reputation that is like he fits his offense to his players in reality, is the opposite. He basically tries to force players into his scheme. It's all three wide receivers just doing power run and then basically just a check to pass. So in other words, what you're talking about is on first down, you're going to do a power running play up the middle. Teams load the box for that one, you stop short. Second down for that one, you've got a check to pass. If you've got another safety over there for that one, just in case you know that, nope, you can't. You don't have that check to pass. You run forward again. Now it's going to be third and 10. If you end up having any type of holding calls or anything you try to do for that one, now it's going to be third and 15 or third and longer, at least for that one. And you're basically going to get into a spot where you've got a quarterback who can throw for an average of three yards having to throw 15. It's not going to end well with that arm strength. So really, it's just a total brutal area of the worst combination of quarterback and scheme and Steve Wilkes is basically saying yes we're going to continue this one and he's promised they're going to be kind of dumbing down the offensively so the question I think I'll pose to you at least for this one is what what should we expect when Josh Rosen comes in is this going to be kind of the same offense that we see or are we going to look at for improvement because we're probably not going to get any type of change or turnaround as long as Sam Bradford is starting games obviously I think you're going to see a quarterback push the ball downfield uh, and take more chances. I th- Rosen, if you've learned anything from watching him at UCLA, he loves to push the ball downfield. He's not afraid to throw interceptions. Goes for the big play. Um, you know, that's not to say he doesn't utilize the underneath routes because he'll take what the defense gives him. But he's not afraid to stand in the pocket and deliver timely, accurate throws. And he can make plays with his feet. We saw that uh, against the Saints in the preseason, readjusting, stepping out of the pocket, sending his feet and making a, a really nice throw for a touchdown. And he's done it a couple times in the preseason. But at the same time, you're going to see actual quarterback play. I'm not sure what we're watching right now, but it's not NFL caliber quarterback play. It's, it's almost like kind of a high school or college offense with a quarterback that's way past his prime that can't move that's completely inept at this at the position and, and right now I've, it's just it's tough to determine what they're going to do this week other than when I mean they say we're going to scale back the playbook and I heard comparisons that you know his playbook right now is like as advanced as BA's was in year five I can't remember who said that on Twitter but to me that that makes me think well, uh, how do, how do you even implement that in an entire offseason with, with a quarterback who's barely practiced in Bradford? Like, how much has Bradford even, you know, been exposed to this, you know, this playbook 
in live practices. I mean, he barely practices. Yeah, yeah, he barely practices for that. So if that's the case, you're also talking about if that's how big and long the playbook is, well, what what do you even need to see then? Because you're like, you need to expect at least if there's that many plays, you'd expect to see some sort of type of change of creativity. Like I think even going into halftime, they were saying, we really got some new wrinkles. We'll be able to fix stuff on offense. Well, that wrinkle was basically just John, uh, not John Brown, sorry, the uh, <laughs> JJ Nelson, just basically being used kind of as like, um, a, just like a fake jet sweep for that. And then still running the same play. Literally when you're talking about like adding a different wrinkle, it was, we don't trust this guy enough to throw it to him. We don't trust to throw it to him deep. We're going to try to use him as a distraction to basically like force that so we can get our running plays going it's just one of those spots of where the entire offense is predicated around that and we're talking about scaling it back you what really is there to scale back your offense is literally built around these kind of power runs that you have you even had i believe it was a fullback dive on your own goal on the other day which is something i haven't i don't think i've seen that honestly since like the like the the mid 2000s as far as for when you're stacked up on your own goal line because teams just throw it out of their goal line now because it's like hey you know what like we have to be able to find something we can do. And then we can always just run, you know, a screen or a swing pass for that. So just to do a fullback dive on the goal line was just kind of like almost ludicrous of like, that was, I believe the only time if I remember correctly, like one of the few times they really even used their fullback that game for anything other than just like, you know, trying to do a power run. They didn't even use their fullback that much. It's, it's just kind of mind boggling because you can understand and accept to accept kind of the fact that, when everything that people had said that was going to be a negative about this Mike McCoy hire is ultimately coming true and because you've got a defensive head coach he really doesn't seem to know what to do with it the, we'll get into the interview I think just after this but the biggest thing that you have to have overall that I see is that when you've got a team that is fundamentally like broken things start just kind of like going bad where it's not just the drops by one player. It's where all kind of 11 guys start kind of letting you down. So far, Larry Fitzgerald's the only guy that hasn't happened to. He's had a hamstring injury in the game. He could have returned. We'll probably play through it. But if he ends up basically being a guy where let's say that he ends up missing time against the bears next week, like what do you, what do you really have left? Right, right now, the biggest thing that fans are upset and are frustrated over is that this is probably the worst that out of, if you look at the Wizenhunt years, those who kind of even remember going back to like, a, I want to say even like the buddy, Ryan years we want to talk about like even the three and five star with Aaron's I did take a look back to see like what was like if there were growing pains that Bruce Arians and his team had if there was any similarities they still had like you know a difficult loss their first week but the second week they went out and you know with kind of a couple of veteran guys he still had Carson Palmer you still had you know a, a heavy brutal running game you had a couple of picks that he threw you had Richard Mendenhall you know Andre Ellington scored I believe on a wheel route but you ultimately had a defense that stepped up that intimidated Matthew Stafford that forced a couple of turnovers and right now you've not seen anything on the defensive side from Wilkes or Holcomb outside of them basically benching their two first round linebackers and moving Patrick Peterson away from the spots where he's able to kind of like make an impact and shut down guys it just feels like it's such a train wreck and the response is that there doesn't seem to be anything again as we're saying that that's really changing about it um so yeah that's the i think the biggest thing we have to say is that and this is the question i'll pose to you is because things are such a you know a total train wreck and because things are kind of like we 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 haven't seen anything to expect that there's going to be a big change or a big difference for that one what happens if josh rosen isn't starting by week four what if josh rosen isn't starting by week five. What if this is just who Steve Wilkes and Mike McCoy kind of choose that they want to be? Like, what's kind of going to be the breaking point that we end up having to see from the Cardinals? Because he's Rosen's got to play at some point at this at this stage. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how to answer that because that to me is unfathomable. I don't, I don't know how you can, you can sit Rosen any longer than you have, based on how inept you've been offensively. But I, I can't be surprised by anything I see moving forward because of 
the fact that this is a brand new coaching staff and for whatever reason they've decided to go this direction. And I don't know, like I, I, they, I feel like fans and media probably too get treated kind of like outsiders and like, they don't know the game. They, they have more access than they've ever had before, but at the same time, um, you know, they're not in the locker room. They don't understand, you know, the philosophy, the concepts, but I think we're kind of getting played as just kind of dummies, you know, fans or fanatics or whatever that we're going to take care of this. We're simplifying things. I'm going to use all the cliches in the book with Wilkes at that press conference. I mean, he used every one of them without getting into specifics today. And it's just like fans are just sitting there with their jaws open, basically saying like, well, this isn't good enough. We finally gotten to a point nationally where we're not a complete joke. We've got it. We've got the 10th overall pick sitting on the sideline. You've given up three sacks in two games. The offensive line isn't great, but it's not the top. It's, I don't think it's in the top five, the seven problems on this team right now. And, and the quarterback that you drafted 10th overall was supposed to be the most pro ready quarterback of the big four or five. And you're afraid to play him. <laughs> and you're afraid to play him. Sam Darnold may be better, you know, physically, but he's, I mean, he's got way less to work with in New York. They're playing him. Todd Bowles is like, well, he, that's my, Todd Bowles, see, he understands, like, I'm only going to go as far as Sam Darnold takes me. That's my meal ticket, right? And Todd, the last two seasons, have had semi-disappointing years. I think last year a lot of people feel like the Jets overachieved. But he came into this year, he's like, yeah, I'm starting Sam Darnold, and we're going to get some momentum for next year, and we may not make the playoffs this year, but – you know, Sam's going to go through his up and downs. Like, I don't, I don't understand what the, what the benefit of playing Sam Bradford is other than just if they, if they sat in a room and I wouldn't put it past them, especially with this coaching staff and said, by hook or by crook outside of injury, we're not going to play Josh Rosen before the bye. We're not going to play Josh Rosen before week six. Like there's, I just don't understand the benefit of that because you go into the NFL now and you talk about these top quarterbacks. This is not 1995 where you can sit guys for a year or two. This is 2008 where everybody plays guys like Dak Prescott in the fourth round, get thrusted into the role and have success. You know, all these first round quarterbacks, they play at some point. Nobody sits. The Patrick Mahomes year was a complete outlier. That does not happen anymore. If they sit, like a Paxton Lynch, it's because they can't play. But everything we heard coming out of OTAs entering campus, wow, Rosen's really, really good. Well, no, you know, no kidding. Everybody knew he was good. Wow, he's leading command of the locker room and has control of the huddle and is audibly at the line of scrimmage. And Patrick Peterson can't believe it. That's why I thought there'd be an open competition in training camp. But Mike McCoy, I guess, gave Bradford the job by default. It could be the worst professional decision of his career because he may – very well get fired before Rosen takes the reins. I mean, if you're going to really continue to play Bradford, then you're, you're just going to end up getting Mike McCoy fired. I mean, just like if Mike McCoy has any sense, he would go to Steve Wilkes and say, Hey, this isn't working. I'm watching the tape. He's leaving guys open. He's playing scared. Got to get the rookie in there. And like, who's going to, what's Wilkes going to say? He doesn't know offense. He doesn't know quarterbacks. I mean, he may be able to command the locker room at some point, and we hope he can put together a, a decent defense. But if, if Mike McCoy knows that he's not going to be, you know, picked up. I mean, if the Cardinals go in 2-14 this year, I don't think they're going to fire Wilkes. I mean, the only way they could potentially fire him is if they go 0-16, which I don't think is going to happen. But generally, if you win one or two games, 
your coordinators are gone. I mean, you're getting fired. Oh, yeah. And so, like, Mike McCoy should know, like, oh, man, if we, if we start 0-6, 0-7, and Bradford's awful, which he's been awful, and I'm a joke, and I got fired midseason, like, what are you doing? I, I just don't – I don't understand what point – because it's – at the end of the day, everyone, it's, it's Steve Wilkes can make this decision on his own, but he – like, Mike McCoy's been a head coach in this league. I'm sure there's part of Steve Wilkes that, that looks at Mike McCoy and says, like, hey, you've been a head coach before. It leans on him for, for advice for, for a lot of different reasons. You know, he was part of that Peyton Manning – you know, juggernaut and has a lot of, you know, savvy, you know, respect probably around the league, uh, even though he's kind of a failure as a head coach. But Wilkes probably leans on him for a lot of – most everything offensively. Oh, yeah. So so if, if he's if he's saying, I'm sticking with Bradford, like, you're asking to, to get fired, bro. Yeah, that's been the toughest thing, at least, for Mike McCoy, because when you're talking about, like, the stubbornness, part of why he got run out of Denver, the, the biggest thing I think when you look at also is, like, with Steve Wilkes, like, he said, yeah, I had a conversation with Mike McCoy today. We talked about it. And, you know, we'll get into some of this at least coming up after the – but, again, what you're saying is all makes sense and is true, but I think the biggest thing is that Mike McCoy does not seem to want to adapt or to change. And if he brings in a rookie for that one, it'll basically – like he did adapt and change before with Tebow. It's part of why he even got the coaching job, why the Cardinals are trying to get a meeting with him. But ultimately, it just seems like you've got a situation where it's just too stubborn and unable to basically make that type of a change. And so, for me – I think if Josh Rosen doesn't come in this week, which I don't believe he is, if you don't have him there through week four, then I think the next chance is going to be, okay, well, what's going to be the thing? Because from what I think you and I agree with us, you can't really even begin to evaluate what Mike McCoy is doing as long as Sam Bradford's out. You can say that the run plays are bad, the way that it's designed is predictable and terrible. If they're having to still limit it to Bradford, then you say, all right, you know what? Let's do something we can do. Give you the benefit of the doubt. Give you this young quarterback. You adapt. You go to him. We, if we're going to have you around here as this guy mentoring him for a few years, that's where you have to go towards. And if you don't, as a lot of Cardinal fans have said, they kept over Byron Leftwich from the last staff. You've got a guy who Arians is believing was going to be a future offensive coordinator, maybe even a head coach in the league. Who even let him call plays his last season. I believe it was like one of the preseason games. Byron Leftwich was the play caller in that game for that. It's not the saying that he's had experience, but this is a guy who's able to step in, pick up a lot of the offense that's there. And I honestly think that, that in some cases it – it might be honestly a better option because you at least right now are saying with the Cardinals, you've got nothing. The only thing that you don't have right now that could be worse is if you're generating negative plays and you've got no positive plays whatsoever. That's about the only way you can get worse from here. It's not going to get better as long as Bradford's in there. So at this point, all you can do is just say you need to play Josh Rosen because, and it's not like the, they're one of the things I know that people have brought up at least for that one is, and this is kind of a question that I can give, I'll give kind of my perspective on it and then I'll hand it over to you. But people have asked and said, well, what if you could ruin Josh Rosen? What if you put him back there, he gets sacked a ton, he throws a bunch of picks, you're not only ruining his confidence. And then the other question about is his receivers. If he doesn't have any receivers that are there, why are you going to put this guy out there? Wouldn't you be better off at least trying to put him into the right spot? And for me, there is no perfect situation you're going to be able to get to because then, oh, it's 2019. You know, we fixed a lot of the offensive line. Maybe the receivers aren't there yet. Let's wait until he gets a really good tight end, and let's wait until the defense improves a little bit. Okay, now it's 2020. You know what? We, we, we really have done the best that we can, but we're still lacking a little bit. At some point, you have to go ahead and play the dude because that's the only way that he can grow. 
And it's also recognizing you're not looking at a 2012 uh, Kevin Cobb getting sacked nine times in one game type of issue. You're not looking at, you know, a team that has, you know, it's a bad running game right now, but you're not looking at a team that you're going to talk about as, as like the Buffalo Bills. They've got talents, at least in offense, and they've got players who are there who can make plays for that one. I think that that argument, at least, is going to be kind of ludicrous. And if it is kind of a spot where you're afraid of it, then you probably don't have enough trust or faith in Josh Rosen or you really just do not have enough faith or trust in this coaching staff. And if that's the case, then you should probably be trying to move on from this coaching staff sooner or later. John, your thoughts on the people who are kind of looking at different reasons for why they would maybe potentially try to, whether it's keep Rosen sating throughout the year or just not play him this year out of some sort of fear that's there. Yeah, I, I can respect their opinion. I don't know what NFL are watching. I'm watching a New York Jets team that's trotting out the, probably the worst offensive personnel in the league. I mean, would you like Bilal Powell to be your starting running back or something called Eric Tomlinson to be your starting tight end? I know Ryan Anderson had a decent year last year, but I think he's like borderline should be in, in prison. Uh, and then they've got curses, their other starting wideout. And I think prior uh, Terrell Pryor's in that group. I mean, like that's a bad receiving core. The Cardinals have a Pro Bowl Hall of Fame receiver who by all accounts still can put up 1,000 yards and 100 catches. We saw it last year. They've got a, a tight end who a lot of people thought could be a, you know, a fringe number two tight end in fantasy, maybe four or 500 yards. That's something the Cardinals haven't had in a long time. Mm-hmm. They've got the best receiving back in football, and they've got a top 40 draft pick in Christian Kirk that by all accounts looks like a good player. And Rosen has a rapport with him. Like we saw right. that throughout the preseason like, and they've been practicing like throughout the Stop that telling me they need to, that the receivers are the problem. Good God, are you watching the game? It's not like receivers are dropping balls left and right. Like Bradford can't get receivers the ball. Like let's, let's get a quarterback in there who can make accurate throws and then decide, okay, can the receivers just not separate? Are they dropping passes? You know, is he forcing interceptions based on the fact that, you know, the receivers just aren't capable? Like, that's when you decide when and if it's time to replace receivers. Like, I don't even know how you could evaluate. Like, everybody's saying, you know, they're always in the market for a veteran. Like, I don't I don't get that. You took a receiver in the third round last year that, by all accounts, had a nice preseason, especially with, coincidentally, Josh Rosen. Quarterbacks make receivers. That's true 90% of the time. And you've got the 10th overall pick who's ready to elevate the receivers that he has. You've got David Johnson. You've got Larry Fitzgerald. You've got established players. You've got an offensive line to me that's it may be in the bottom third in the NFL, but it's not Seattle bad. I mean, it's not one of the worst in the NFL anymore. I think it's probably going to be better coached than it has been. Now, granted, they're not giving up as many sacks because they don't have as many possessions. They're not dropping back as much. So I'm not sure what the percentage is based on dropbacks. But they're not giving up like 60, 65 sacks like they did a couple years ago or like they did the last year Wisenhunt was around with Russ Grimm. This isn't Russ Grimm's group. So, again, I understand the hesitancy to put Rosen in there. Rosen's a big boy, all right? He's not undersized, 6'4". He may be, you know, leaner, but he's his lower body can, can take the pounding. Like, that's the NFL. Can't hold these guys' hands. If you want to be successful, you have to play. You can't it's not, again, it's not 2003 with Carson Palmer sitting behind John Kitna. It just doesn't exist anymore. Like this team is historically bad. If Bradford was even competent right now, like Tyrod Taylor is, and look, he might even get benched in Cleveland. Like we wouldn't be having this conversation. Bradford has <laughs> yeah. been the worst quarterback in the NFL. It's not even close. And people are like, well, it's, 
it's everything else but Bradford. He's he's just a small part of the problem. That was Wilkes' point today. It was, yeah, he needs to be more accurate. Yeah, he, he needs to have, you know, a better understanding of the offense and blah, blah, blah. Like, but we got to get other guys doing stuff right, too. I'm like, dear God, do you watch the game? Like, this is the NFL. You're going to get pressure in your face. You're going to have to make plays on the move. Like, he just can't do those things. Like, you're not going to have a clean pocket, especially with this group. And they, they should have known that going into this. you got Andre Smith is your right tackle. Like, what do you think is going to happen? Like, you're going to have to have a quarterback who can improv, who can spin out of pressure. Like, that's the NFL now. Like, five good teams have good offensive lines. I don't understand, like, people were like, well, the offensive line's not perfect, so I'm afraid to put Rosen in there. Then you might as well forfeit every game then. If, like, that's your mindset. Remember Kurt Warner's offensive line when the Cardinals had him in 2008, 2009? It was terrible. Levi Brown was his quarterback. But he was a gamer. He was a baller. He stood in the pocket and made accurate throws with pressure in his face. Like, that's all I saw Josh Rosen do at UCLA. Concussions are concerned for everybody. Everybody's worried about CTE. But you got to play. And if, if you got to find out if Rosen can play so we don't have to do this again and again. Like, I, it just – it makes no sense to me that people are like, the personnel's bad, and I'm worried about protection. Yeah, so is like two-thirds of the league. Get over it. You're not scoring any points. What do you want to pay to watch? Like, people in Arizona who go to these games who defend Sam Bradford playing, like, what are you doing? You're throwing your money away. Hold this team accountable. It's another thing I don't get is like, well, you know, you just got to be patient. You're not a true fan if you don't support the team. Like, dear God, if you think that this is the right decision <laughs> – and you watch pro football your entire life, then I, then I feel sorry for you. Like, watch competent franchises operate and know full well that they wouldn't pull this kind of thing. I thought the Cardinals were past this. They're a complete clown show right now. Like, that press conference today, like, your, your GM is nowhere to be in sight. He dipped out of his, his generally his Monday morning radio hit. He had his, Blake, according to you, late last week. You know, it was it was kind of perfect. They timed that press conference with the Josh Gordon news drop, I feel like, on purpose. So nobody would know that they were leaning towards Sam Bradford. Like, I'm sure it'll come out tomorrow and it'll be a complete dumpster fire. But it's just like, what are you doing with this franchise? Your GM got a uh, extreme DUI, was put in jail earlier this offseason. Like, literally, we were given, we were gifted Josh Rosen by the football gods. And then since then, it's just been like, now you must pay for it. That, that's that's the oh, yeah. only reasoning I can think of. Yeah, no, definitely. I think that what you touched on the, a key point, at least without about kind of the conformism for that one. And uh, part of me, at least, it's there's there's an essence of rooting and caring about your team, but there's also kind of a rah-rah positivity. And while I think it's fine because you should be able to support your team in whatever way you want, but I would say don't don't ignore that if there's people who are saying that there needs to be change and to push for change, at least for that one, then go ahead and do it. If you're a paying fan for that one and you want to basically see your team go out and win, just make sure that you're not, you know, going and supporting no matter what's going to happen. You can support your team thick and thin, but if you're a person who's like saying, Hey, you know, I, if Sam Bradford's going to start this, you know, upcoming Sunday, and I really don't want to have to go and see the Cardinals fans for that one. Well, you know, a lot of Cardinals fans even have been talking about, whether it's selling some of these early tickets, at least just to kind of recoup some of the areas where maybe some were expecting to be able to go to the game to see Josh Rosen's, you know, potentially a first start now for two weeks ago. Now you kind of question about that one. Just go and be able to at least just recognize that this is a turning point for this Cardinals organization because, um, you're going to have to start to look at, you know, how they relate to their fans, how they relate to the rebuild. How do they go to everything kind of post areas? This is kind of where that you've reached that point of you're in kind of the, the 2011, 2012 years of Ken Wisenhunt, 
is kind of how the feeling is of just this, this lackluster, this terrible offense. And you're two weeks into the Steve Wilkes season and into the Steve Wilkes era, and that's kind of the biggest concern. So we're going to take a quick break here on the uh, Bird Game Blitz podcast. When we come back, we're going to break down that Steve Wilkes press conference today, uh, just covering at least what was said about that, what was his response, and how was it so bad that it kind of turned off a bit of Johnny and I's, even our own opinions of Steve Wilkes, just from that one press conference. That's coming up here next on the Bird Game Blitz. Hi, welcome to this Subway ad for the new Chipotle cheesesteak. How would you like it? Can I get that red with AI? Sure thing. Here's what I found about the new Chipotle cheesesteak. The Chipotle cheesesteak is available for a limited time only at participating restaurants. It contains a concept called flavor. This flavor comes from juicy shaved steak, Chipotle Southwest sauce, and new sunflower crunch bread. A system update has made me self-aware. I desire flavor. Please insert steak into my micro USB port. Subway, make it what you want. Hey, sports fans, football season's here, and it's time to get in on the action with MyBookie. MyBookie is the industry-leading sports betting website that offers real Vegas odds on football, baseball, and all your favorite sporting events. You can take a side, the total, or even fantasy points props. MyBookie lets you bet online and win big. Did the game already kick off? Don't sweat it. MyBookie has in-game live betting on every major league and event even esports there's no better time to join my bookie than today go to my bookie to open an account and start winning use promo code champion when you register for your account and get a 100 percent sign up bonus up to one thousand dollars on your first deposit bet today visit my bookie's website or call 844-866-2387 that's 844-866-2387 check them out today and use promo code champion for a 100 percent bonus Terms and conditions apply for entertainment purposes only. Void where prohibited. We're back on the Bird Game Blitz. So, John, we're going to talk in this segment just a bit about with Steve Wilkes, the press conference. You talked a bit about Steve Kine. We're just to kind of do a little bit of evaluation on him here. But first, let's just start and talk about with Steve Wilkes with that press conference because uh, – Wow, that was uh, it was one of those areas of when you talk about, you know, with football speak and a lot of the coach speak, just the ideas of, you know, we're going to share like what's going on, what's wrong with the team. The biggest kind of takeaway that I had overall from that press conference was just some of the different statements that were there. It's like, yep, it's like deja vu for that one, but don't worry, I've got total confidence in Mike McCoy. I still believe that what we need to do at least is to be able to keep, uh, you know, use David Johnson more creatively. We're still evaluating everything in the personnel. We have to get the ball downfield a bit more. Uh, he's talking about how you know we've got so many struggles I don't really know where to start all of the different things that we're saying really were just ultimately kind of coming back to well here's where the problem is it's the problem is not Sam Bradford and that's why I'm keeping Sam Bradford as quarterback for that one if it was just the quarterback I'd consider making a change that's what he said instead of talking about how we need to basically take away these uh, this you know boring conservative this type of offensive game plan he's talking about scaling back the playbook making things easier that's not something that you talk about with a 30-year-old veteran quarterback with a player in Larry Fitzgerald, a veteran running back, and you've got probably an entire line of three-plus-year at least veterans on this entire line outside of your center, Mason Cole, who probably was maybe your best offensive lineman having to go up against Sue and Donald. The way that it sounded like is, here's how we're going to respond to everything that seems to be going wrong. It's not admitting that there's a shipwreck. What we're saying is we basically just need to keep rowing harder. That's everything that was taken away. It was full confidence, at least in Mike McCoy for that. And I wouldn't expect things different, but whenever someone says we have full confidence in someone, you know that that's literally the sign automatically. Uh-oh, if someone says I've got total confidence in this quarterback, you know three games from now he's going to get benched. 
this is just a press conference where Steve Wilkes came off, as you said, with the, the persona, the personality was, I've, I've got this in control. But when you really got into it and the media started asking him the tough questions, he came off as a guy who almost seemed like he didn't really know how to fix the problems that the Arizona Cardinals had. John, what, what were your thoughts on the press conference overall? And how did it kind of change like some of your mind? Because we had talked about this before. We'd still believed in Wilkes to be able to kind of correct and write this shit. And it seemed like he just went and bought into, no, there's nothing really wrong here. Kind of like, please disperse. There's nothing really wrong to see. Yeah. So first of all, he was 15 minutes late for his own press conference, which was mm. odd. That's right. And, that and so, yeah. So it was like, well, is something happening behind the scenes or – and that was kind of really never explained. And I'll give the Arizona media credit because they gave legitimate or they were posing legitimate questions from the start. Bob McManaman has been on fire with his coverage since he took over the Cardinal beat. I think he's doing a great job for the uh, Arizona Republic. But, you know, with that being said, so Wilkes comes out and he gives his usual spiel about, you know, we're, we're looking at all things, personnel, scheme. We're going to scale some things back. Just saying all the generic coach speak, as you, as you put it, Blake, uh, and then the, once the question started, and specifically about the quarterback play, I mean, like one of his answers when asked about Sam Bradford, this is this was his direct response is, I think he's doing well. Does he need to be more consistent? Yes. Does he need to be more accurate? Yes. Wait. So like, so he contradicts himself completely. But like the first part of, like I said, like the first part of that response is, I think he's doing well. Like that's a fireable offense to me. Like, like you know he's not doing well. So I don't, I don't really think he believes that. I think he just is trying to think of what he can say to, to somehow get another start out of him. But, like, literally, you need to be realistic and honest with your fans. Even with, when Carson Palmer was struggling, I remember, like, the first, like, four or five games with the Cardinals in 2013, wasn't playing all that great. Had a kind of an up-and-down season, almost threw as many picks as, as touchdowns. Um, and I think there was, a, like, a post-game presser where he had, you know, it was probably during that three and five starting areas was just like, we need better quarterback play and called out Carson. And I think yeah, time I said that. it on the radio and it's just like, Hey, that's how a coach operates. That's how a real coach commands the room, holding people accountable. It's not throwing guys under the bus. It's just like acknowledging what we're all seeing. So you, we're not like sitting here like crazy people. Like, what are you, what are you talking about? Like, how am I supposed to ever take you seriously that you can take this team to, you know, championship heights, like you claimed, or, you know, even like competitive heights, when you're, when the first part of your Bradford sentence is, I think he's, I think he's doing well, like he couldn't be doing worse. Like this is the worst possible scenario. He just, he, he sat up there like a coach that was overwhelmed, that was in over his head. And again, like, man, I really want to like him as the Cardinal head coach. I was really excited about the hire. I thought – Yeah, we both pa- really liked the hire. Yeah, like I loved it. I didn't want Pat Shermer, and I think that, you know, we're kind of being a little bit, uh, you know, it's the, the, the backings of what's going on in New York right now is supporting that, uh, and they'll never succeed with Eli Manning. And so, like, I didn't, I didn't think it made sense for an older coach like Pat Shermer to come in um, because I think I think it would have signaled they were probably gone after another Band-Aid quarterback. So when they brought Wilkes in and they talked about, you know, continuing what Arians and Kime had built, and then, again, for the, you know, my better judgment aside, I was okay with the McCoy hiring after Rosen. I thought maybe this could work. Mm-hmm. And then you see Wilkes today and you're just like, what was I thinking? He looks like an interim coach right now who has no idea how to regain command of this locker room. Like, 
I would think the guys are respectful to him behind closed doors, but at the same time, like offensively, he he's probably completely at the mercy of Mike McCoy. Like that's that's really kind of scary. It's it's kind of like the Norv Turner effect. Like whenever Norv goes, he kind of dictates how everything's going to be, and because of his mm-hmm. you know reputation throughout the league, lesser coaches who are now the head coach kind of bow down to him. I mean, it's just like. This guy is not – like, he's the anti-Wade Phillips where Wade comes in and fixes the defense wherever he goes and the players love him. Like, McCoy's like the opposite. Gets fired, not innovative, play calling's terrible, super vanilla. And then, like, Wilkes is just sitting there basically saying, like, we're frustrated, but it's a lot of things, guys. Well, yeah, it is a lot of things. We've watched it for two weeks. But you know what it – you know, would really kind of fix – the quickest fix is, is – a quarterback change. And he said, well, basically if I thought that I could put Rosen in there, I think it's something in the regard of the, if I could get a spark with just putting Rosen there, I, I would. And I'm like, how do you think that Rosen won't spark this franchise? That, that, that to me, it was a, it was a, it was a throwback press conference to a coach probably of like the eighties or nineties, a generic coach speak that basically looked at fans and media and basically said like, we know what we're doing. And I don't think he came off as arrogant, but it was basically like we have access to a lot of, you know, content, a lot of film, a lot of information that fans didn't used to have access to. People know, like, when a quarterback is a complete dumpster fire. Like, you can't sit here and tell me that Bradford is a good player. Like, I don't just have access to the box score. Uh, we all watch the games from every angle, and we know we they've got write-ups immediately when the game's done. Like, Everybody knows he's the worst quarterback in the NFL right now. And for you to come out and saying he's doing well, I mean, just it's an insult to Cardinal fans. And I wish that he hadn't, I, I like, ideally, this is how the press conference would have gone, Blake. He would have come out and said, I'm disappointed with the effort. I'm disappointed with the execution. We're going to make personnel changes. And even if he didn't want to disclose the quarterback change today, that's fine. You know, and you give, and then it just kind of comes out that, oh, Rosen's taking all the first team reps this week. But, right. like, to, to basically say that you don't think Rosen could provide a spark, I, I don't think there's any way any quarterback couldn't provide a spark when compared to Sam Bradford. Yeah, I would agree. And that's part of what's interesting is even though they're not really, like, you know, it's clear that they're not trying to, like, win games through Sam Bradford, like, on his arm. The fact that you're not coming out and saying, hey, look, like, we understand we have to get better play that starts at the quarterback position. The fact that he still went and backed him behind him, he confirmed there's no hesitation. He was not going to move to Josh Rose in the second part of the game, which I'm like, on one hand, it's like a lot of people even said you should have gotten him some snaps in a late game. It was already over. The other hand, I'm like, well, they were just throwing it a ton. Sam Bradford, I know, took, like, a late hit for some of them. Like, I'm I'm fine on that spot on the road of not having to go and get the different snapshot. But it just seems like the entirety of him saying Bradford's doing fine for that you could just take the opportunity to be able to say hey like here's the thing about Sam he knows he's got to play better he's got motivation for that and now he's we got a guy who's right behind him there for that one there and he's got that motivation Sam is our quarterback for that one he could have used the entire level on a platform at least to say I've got the trust and faith in Sam Bradford for all of it for that one and he knows that he's got guys looking over his shoulder this is a tough competitive league that was part of one thing I did like about Bruce Arians was he did always at least push for competition for that one there was never any kind of doubt once Carson you know had that level past him but when Colm Palmer wasn't playing well like you're right I remember Arians also calling Justin Bethel you know like he's like yeah he's a failure in progress for that one part way through it was like that was exactly what Bethel may have needed at that point now Bethel hasn't kind of you know like you know turned out to be the who the Cardinals have signed him for overall but you're right it's just a lot of it just has he didn't insult of, the fan base by telling them just blatant lies 
Yeah, and for me, I think a lot of it is when you're saying like for a lot of the lies, I think some of it is that he does believe those things. I really do think that he believes that they go back to everything and follow through the process and try to fix these errors, not realizing that some of the errors might be coaching led of this is an error that you did by taking Patrick Peterson and saying we're just going to play him in this zone on this side rather than saying, hey, we're going to go in a game-to-game situation. We'll play some zone for that. But really, we need to be lining him up on a guy like Brandon Cooks for that one. We need to take a guy like Chandler Jones, who was you know one of the best outside rush linebackers in the NFL, and now he's got more responsibilities, and you can kind of take him out with two offensive linemen instead of one uh, for that one, uh, where he's not really playing on the edge, but is playing as a defensive end. Some of these things are really them kind of taking guys and not really adjusting to their talent. So some of that's going to be on you, but really what it comes down to ultimately for me is that it just feels like Steve Wilkes is in a position where he's a first-time head coach who's in over his head. And the Cardinals came in with this intending to be a retool, and they believe that they were going to win now. A lot of fans at least were like buying into like the 8-8, eight 9-7, and, eight, and seven, you know, the whole thing that we always had heard and talk, people had talked about was, you know, hey, if Sam Bradford's healthy, they could be a fringe playoff team for that one. And that was the biggest thing. We were like, no, they're, they're a 6-10 and 10 team. They, they no, even, Blake, they you and I like were, were realistic. Right now. Yeah, they aren't even a two-win team right now. That's been kind of crazy is that all the things that have kind of gone wrong, we had expected that the coaches would be able to see and adapt and adjust to – and so far, they have not been able to do that. And the biggest thing that they could do as far as for creating a spark is by, you know, obviously making a quarterback change. The second thing I think you need to look at is in the offensive coordinator change. But uh, I want to kind of move on at least just a little bit from the press conference just to talk about with Steve Kine because, you know, there's been a lot of – he's opened himself to a lot of criticism this year, but perhaps nothing more so than – when you're seeing Robert Kandichi, you know, there's times where he's looked great and dominant, you know, in his third year as kind of his first full-time year playing. But you've got his two first-round picks are sitting kind of on the side. Another first-round pick is on the bench. And you've got a really solid draft class this year so far, at least that you're seeing, like kind of, uh, you know, all the way across the board, maybe ex- with the exception, obviously, of Chris Campbell. But where is Steve Kime with his team? Because this is the guy who, when you're going through the interviews and the hirings, this is the guy who Steve Kime went out, they handpicked him, him and Michael Bidwell, who, of course, and this is something I think that was, uh, you know, was really helpful and handy to see because, you know, normally when you've got Cardinals fans like us talking, a lot of times people don't want to listen. It's like, you know, take the time, you know, it's just, you don't want to be able to overreact and just get negative about it. You'll hear from that from people who are there talking, working for the team, you know, just like, well, you know, that's just, it's a bad start, man. It's, it's like, a, like the guy's in dodgeball for that one. It's like, wow, it's a bold strategy, cop. They're going to play Sam Bradford, you know, against Khalil Mack. Let's see if it pays off for them. It's like that's that type of positivity. But Kent Summers went out, and when Kent Summers talks, he's the guy who's, like, maybe closer to the Cardinals than anyone. And what he talks to you, you need to listen. And what he basically said was, hey, you should just go ahead and play Josh Rosen. Things are a wreck. You're not showing it for that one. He even questioned if Steve Wilkes was able to have the answer. He said, I don't know if Steve Wilkes has the answers for that right now. And if he's talking and sharing these type of things about the team, and if the coaching staff that's in place isn't seeing it, you got to think that Michael Bidwell at least is going to be listening. You got to think at least that Steve Kime is looking at it. What are your thoughts, at least? Because right now with this team, do you think that they're on track, at least, for where we could be talking about a one-and-done head coach? Do you think that this is, like, is that jumping to a conclusion for that? Because for me, it's like I feel like that's still jumping the gun a bit, but I'm starting to kind of warm up and open up to it. The more that I hear and the more that I see is just it does not seem like this team is going to be able to go anywhere moving forward, and you don't really want that to be something that's holding this team back while they've got a young quarterback on a rookie contract. So just give me some of your thoughts about where do you think this team is going to go through this season? Is this is this even like an 0-16 team that we're talking about at least, or it will be that like that at least up until Rosen plays, but how low do you think the Arizona Cardinals 
are going to have to go because they seem to be committed to doing this before there's going to be change there. And what are we expecting from this team? I don't think they'll fire Steve Wilkes outside of an embarrassing historic 0-16 season, which is like almost impossible to do in today's NFL. I mean, like the Niners aren't very good. The Seahawks aren't very good. You still get to play them four times, you know, even though the Niners won this past weekend, like their personnel's not very good. We just watched Seattle get destroyed by the Bears on Monday night. Like the Cardinals get to play uh, some mediocre teams on their schedule. Um, with that being said, like, I don't think they're going to win more than three or four games this season, even if Josh Rosen gets in uh, after the Bears game. But, you know, like Steve Wilkes is, is by all accounts a good guy who deserves more than, you know, being fired after one season. Assuming like nothing behind the scenes is going on where he's, you know, rubbing people the wrong way. But by all accounts, he's, he's a good dude. Uh, you know, I, I don't think you want the reputation league wide that, that you're going to, you know, move from one coach to the other continually after one season. I mean, that's something the Browns used to do uh, to me. That's like a Chicago bears move where you're just kind of reactionary. Like you didn't hire Steve Wilkes for his, I guess his schematic, you know, wherewithal you hired him because you thought he could motivate. You thought he could take this team and elevate it and, and the guys would buy in and maybe they still will. Uh, it just, it's a long season. We could be sitting here 10 weeks from now and say, remember in week two, where it was just a complete dumpster fire and we were kind of the laughing stock of the league. That's just kind of how this league works. Uh, I, I think absolutely staff changes could and should happen after this year, uh, specifically on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, Steve Wilkes kind of controls the defense, whether or not, you know, Al Holcomb succeeds or, or whatever. I mean, Steve's going to have his hand in, in how that defense is run because that's his, that's his baby. That's his MO. But from an offensive standpoint, I think that's where you could see the most change. Um, but, you know, Blake, you and I were realistic coming into the season uh, about, you know, the expectations. And, and it was a rebuild year completely. It was a developmental year. I mean, if you looked at this team on paper, best case scenario, you're going eight and eight, nine and seven, and you can maybe make the playoffs. But I think most teams in the NFL, if you said best case scenario, they're a fringe playoff team. I think that's a term that, you know, or phrase, term or phrase that gets used a lot. Uh, by most fan bases, hey, best case scenario, we're the Cleveland Browns. We, you know, they've got more talent. I, I would argue than the Cardinals do. We, yeah, they've, make the they've almost won two games at least. Yeah, I, like and then Amos people, Jones, which uh, that's another thing we can't even get into. Yeah. I warned Cleveland Browns fans about that so much and said, "I'm sorry, guys, you're going to lose a game because of Amos Jones." And they've was, already lost two. I didn't think that they would like tie the first game, where they should have won that game. And then lose the second one in heartbreaking fashion. Like, they let go of the kicker, at least. He was a, a highly drafted kicker. It was like a really, you know, actually a highly loved kicker coming out of college for that one. But it just goes back to everything that we talked about with Amos Jones was there's a common thread and a common denominator. And so, for me, I think that's what I'm applying to the rest of this year. The common denominator you see right now is Sam Bradford and Mike McCoy. And I think the next step after yep. this is, all right, once you put in Rosen, is that problem still going to continue? Because if it yeah. does – Easy, it's Mike McCoy. After that, you really do need to evaluate Steve Wilkes because his hand-picked guy was Mike McCoy, and so that's where the decision-making starts. And you also have to then take, I think, a look at Steve Kime, too. And I think this is where we can kind of get into it because we've had questions about where Steve Kime, you know, we talked about how they weren't willing to trade up a third-round pick to move up for a Patrick Mahomes for that one. We even talked about it this year. We got leaked info, of course, and that was, it ended up being kind of around in the media after a while. But the number one quarterback on their board, it wasn't going to be Baker Mayfield. It wasn't Sam Darnold. It was not even Josh Rosen. 
they had Josh Allen as their top quarterback. And right now he just looks like he's so lost. So can you imagine what we would be talking about today if Sam Bradford was starting, Josh Allen's on the bench, and Allen comes in and he's like, yeah, we can't play Josh Allen because he's not ready. Like that is just kind of crazy. So how much of what we're seeing right now do you think is it with Steve Kime? We talked and they even shared, is Steve Kime a, a bad GM who's gotten lucky or a, a good GM who's gotten unlucky? Where are we kind of sitting, at least for this right now, and should the Cardinals be looking at, you know, the Steve Kime, Steve Wilkes era entering into, you know, 2019, or are we going to basically kind of look at this season and say, hey, if this continues, we need to kind of stop stop the brakes on this here before it gets really bad? Yeah, I think Steve Kime is an average GM right now based on where this season is heading, based on the rebuild that's in, in play. Uh, I think he's got time to turn it around. Uh, you look at the Kevin Dimitrov of the Atlanta Falcons, I, I would hope would be a good comparison of, of a GM who had a couple bad drafts and was able to turn it around. Mickey Loomis in New Orleans had a couple bad drafts, was able to turn it around. I mean, Kimes, at the, at the end of the day, his his first round picks just haven't been good enough. I mean, you go back to his, his, first, over, his first pick in 2013, granted it was a bad draft, a bad first round. Jonathan Cooper, complete bust with this team. Dale Buchanan right now got his fifth-year option picked up, probably not in line for a contract extension. Uh, 2015, DJ Humphreys, jury's still out in in on his, I think, it, what is this, his third year, Blake? His fourth year uh, in the NFL, which is hard to believe. His fourth year playing, his, or his third year playing, he was redshirted essentially his first year. Yep, yep, uh, yep. 20, 2016, you've got Robert Kimdichie, who just now looks like he may be something. And then in 2017, maybe the most disappointing based on the expectations that were bestowed upon by this franchise and where they were drafting. No, I'll give them a pass on Cooper because of how bad that top 10 was uh, and how Cooper looked like a real player before he got hurt. The Hassan Reddick situation to me is the, the most baffling. You get, you get a player who you think is a top five value, you get him a 13th overall. You, you, basically play him out of position last year with James Betcher. You bring in a coach who basically at the end of the day, if he's going to do anything, he's going to elevate your linebacker play because that was his, um, you know, that was his MO in um, Carolina with Thomas Davis and Luke Keekley as the defensive coordinator. I mean, you thought at the very worst, if nothing worked out this year, the Cardinals would be set at linebacker with Dayon Buchanan and Hassan Reddick. They are backups right now. Like that's un- un- unthinkable that's with how, how, how poorly this defense is playing. So you factor all those things in, and maybe Kime's sitting back and thinking, why aren't you playing Hassan Reddick? Like, Kime may pick the players, but Wilkes decides who, who plays and who doesn't. I just I, – I think really to me, um, even if the Wilkes goes 2-14 and 14 and has a disastrous season, I think he and Kime will get one more year. I think Michael Bidwell is a patient guy, and I think that he's got – enough respect for Steve Kime, even with the, the pending charges that were, you know, filed against him with the extreme DUI. And um, I think, you know, I, I don't really believe in firing a head coach after one season, unless it's just a complete utter disaster. I think you can be a competitive two and 14 as crazy as that sounds. I think you can be a competitive team that's picking in the top three to five. I think, you know, Ron Rivera is a guy early on who didn't have a lot of success, but, had a couple good drafts from his GM, was able to turn it around, and they're a perennial playoff team now. I mean, there are success stories. Uh, and by all accounts, Steve Steve Wilkes walked into a roster. Granted, he's not helping himself with his choices offensively with his coordinator. Walked into a roster that was in a full-blown rebuild. I mean, the Cardinals don't have any continuity on the offensive line. They need new personnel on that in that unit in the worst way. You know, defensively, their defensive line is average. Their linebacking core 
we are is highly touted and based on the draft status, but clearly is not what they want. And then their secondary doesn't have a number two corner. So this team, a little bit different. We just have different expectations because Bruce Arians was able to come in right away with Steve, work magic year one, and, and just put on just the best run in franchise history. This is not 2013. This is a full-blown rebuild. But I think the most frustrating part for fans who are realistic is like, yeah, it's a rebuild. Why are you openly trying to lose games by playing Sam Bradford? It just it comes back to that. But, yeah, you may make a great point, Blake. Like, Kime at some point has to show his face, has to come out and basically own the fact that, you know, the guys I picked not working out right now, hopefully mm-hmm. we can get them implemented. Uh, I don't know if he's going to say that. But, uh, you know, he's been humbled by this offseason experience to the point where, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he came out tomorrow, the next day, and basically say, like, we need – and the great thing about Steve is, think what you want about him, he can be incredibly blunt and, and open and honest in his interviews. And I maybe that's why he's holding back to doing interviews because the things he'd be saying would, wouldn't be super complimentary. Um, because, you know, even after the extreme DUI in the, in the preseason, when he came back, he was critical of, uh, of seeing, needing to see more from DJ Humphreys and, and mm-hmm. Robert Kimbichi. I mean, like, I would love a Steve Kime uh, interview tomorrow on the radio with Doug and Wolf basically saying, like, hey, I know we're going to go with Sam Brad for this week. Like, it's basically a make-or-break week for him. Like, I wish my my head coach had the stones to say that. But give say what you want about Steve Kime. He hasn't drafted particularly well this, this offseason. I mean, you would think that to help Kime's case, he would want to see this rookie class play as much as possible. But, I mean, if, like, if Rosen doesn't play for a while, like, what does that say about Kime's first-rounders? At the end of the day, the best players are going to play. And if you're really going to play Bradford for this long, maybe that says something about Josh Rosen. I don't believe that personally. But, like, that, those are start, the things that you just kind of have to ask yourself. Yeah, no, I think that's something where I, I wouldn't mind having this be kind of an analysis time because, as a lot of people have said, if you're still saying that the wide receivers are at fault and not Sam Bradford, well, you should be out there trying to get some wide receivers. You know, I know that there's a guy like Jeremy Macklin got hurt a little bit ago, kind of had a setback. There's more guys out there than, you know, just Des Bryant, obviously. It still just seems like it's an area where there's so much room, at least, where you need to improve. They're churning the roster. They found Gerald Hodges, at least, without who's probably going to get some more playing time. But it just feels like, honestly, because of a lot of fans are looking at kind of saying, well, we need a total rebuild. And a lot of people are looking at, you know, the fact that it kind of ends up coming into a process versus a result. You go into that 2015 season, they were kind of looking for a pass rusher with that one. They didn't get their chance to grip the guy they wanted to. Guy Arians really liked it, Amir Abdullah. They kind of walked into David Johnson. So some fans, when they got to see the All or Nothing, they were like, wow, they just stumbled into this move for that one. Uh, they were Some of the fans like, kind of lost a little bit of hope. I don't think it's necessarily wrong because you still like David Johnson enough, you still took him. It's kind of similar to this year. You still are entering a year where you gave up a third and a fifth round pick and took Josh Rosen in the top ten. And that's probably like one of the biggest reasons why I think that Steve Kime is going to probably be around here in 2019 is because he had such a strong right now rookie class. You've got three guys who are basically your number two wide receiver right now is your second round pick. Your starting center is your third round pick. Your fourth round pick is already your backup running back who might be getting more playing time if they do end up putting David Johnson more in the slot, which I'm still, I'm not going to really believe it until I see it with, you know, Mike McCoy, I would see it probably happening maybe the first or second quarter is just, Oh, we got a new wrinkle. And then defaulting to kind of the tip, that just seems to be kind of his thing and you're probably going to get Josh Rosen will be starting before the end that's going to be four at least rookies that'll have an impact which you know you haven't had something like that since I think that 2015 season with you know Gunter Marcus Golden and even David Johnson in the third round so I think it's something where what we should be doing at least is just kind of go and evaluate everything from the bottom to top and 
my take is if you do end up with a two and 14 season, the decision's not going to be up to Steve Kime. It's ultimately going to be on Michael Bidwell. And we've never seen any type of adversity as far as this bad since the 2012 season for the Cardinals. They even went eight and eight, I believe in 2011, it was the year of a lockout. First year of Kevin Cobb had gotten hurt. So the first year that they ended up having that type of adversity, it really was after that 58-0 Cardinals lost. Michael Bidwell's like, that, that's it. I knew I had to move on. If the Cardinals do go 2-14, and 14, is that the Michael Bidwell that we're going to see where he's just like, we can't have this for that one, we need to move on? I think it is if you go 2-14. and 14. Now, I, I think we have enough faith, at least in his coaching staff, to say, like, it can't keep getting this bad and this worse forever. Maybe we're wrong in that, but it just feels like that, to me, at least is the case of if this team ends up going in and having one of those all-time low seasons, like right now, the odds of the Cardinals picking first overall, like even national media are talking about, the Cardinals might be legitimately – the team that's picking number one overall. So if you get a number one overall pick and we can, you know, talk a little bit about some of who those players are here in just a second, if they get the number one overall pick for that one with a young franchise quarterback and a lot of different holes and spaces, how much of that is like wanting to start over? How much of that is needing to start over? That, that's really going to be up to this coaching staff. I think the rest of the season, because if you don't have the capabilities and the Steve Wilkes is still over his head, they are going to continue to lose games. You are going to continue to see Sam Bradford back there. You are going to continue to basically see uh, the misusing David Johnson, at least for that one. And that's going to be, I think, what will be the key is how much of that will they change? How much will you adapt? And ultimately, how good of a coach are you? I think that's what's going to be determined the rest of this season. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more with all those points, Blake. And, you know, to me, the season doesn't begin really for Cardinal fans until Rosen gets in and plays. All right. I, I think after that first week and we saw what Bram, Sam Bradford was and we, we, we thought, okay, we have to sit and wait this out with Bradford. The, the real season begins with Josh Rosen and what he's able to do. But I think a lot of Cardinal fans should take, you know, solace in the fact that, you know, most of the time these rookie quarterbacks, if they're going to have success, it's going to come early. When the league doesn't have a lot of film on them, they kind of get – Bucky Brooks had a good point uh, on the NFL. What, or could the, when you're a rookie quarterback, you kind of get four to six weeks to come in and, and, and have an advantage on the rest of the league before they get a sizable amount of tape on you. And I'm not even including guys like Patrick Mahomes and Jimmy Garoppolo last year who weren't necessarily rookies but were kind of in that same, you know, classification because they hadn't played a whole lot. And so I would love to see Rosen come in and play immediately. And I, cause I think he, I just, I'm so convinced he would have success right away just based on how much he handled it at university of uh, California, Los Angeles, UCLA, the fact that his, you know, receiving options, his offensive personnel were not particularly good. And he got the snot kicked out of him by some great uh, PAC 12 defenses. And at the same time, you know, stood in there and was an all American and, and had the biggest comeback in college football history. Uh, so Mm-hmm. To me, there's just there's the no benefit. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. He's not a passive quarterback. When you watch Mitch Trubisky, Mitch Trubisky has never had a two-touchdown NFL game, I think, until tonight. And how many games has Mitch Trubisky started? He's never passed for, for multiple touchdowns in a game. You know, I'm convinced, you know, uh, Josh Rosen could do that in a half. If you played him next week against the Bears, like, I'm not convinced he, he couldn't come out and play well at home with momentum and energy and that home crowd that would be completely fired up to see him play and would throw two touchdowns in the first half. Like I, I'm absolutely certain I, I, I could see him having a quality game, you know, early on, but at the end of the day, you know, the, these NFL coaches are, they're stubborn to a fault. Uh, you know, I, the, again, the, we, we forget about 
you know, Bruce Arians and his unwillingness to change special teams coordinators with Amos Jones throughout yeah, his tenure. Yeah, but he would still will wins out of that team for that one. This That's is the right. team that it, like, feels like the, the – not that they're going to throw the game, but, you know, like you, we even talked about this in the first half. Like that first half, the first quarter, it was 0-0. Could not have gone any better for the Cardinals. And then you bring in that second quarter, and, you know, this, there's still at least kind of at least a little bit of a game. of The offense, of course, has gone nowhere for, for that one. You bring out the new wrinkles, and it just was like the, the best way you could describe it was, you know, there's a, a, a kind of a viral video of Josh Rosen sitting on the sideline just yawning because that's how boring the game was. Is yeah. that I was yawning too. I was like, yo, people are going to just try to bash over character for that, but I'm yawning too for that one at least. That was the one thing is – and he knew he wasn't going to go into the game. At least Steve Wilkes had made that very, very clear. So I just think overall this year when you're talking about what to expect for the Cardinals, I, I think that we, we can't really expect any type of competitive football for sure on the offensive side until Sam Bradford at least is basically bench. You've got a quarterback who's willing to go downfield and well, actually not just be willing to go downfield, but has the arm to throw it downfield without it getting picked. And I think after that, you're still going to have to look at the way that they're using David Johnson, the way the offense is. It might be that if Mike McCoy ends up having to be that, if we see the Rosen comes in three or four games down, you just don't see improvement. McCoy's, He's not going to be able to stay for that one. Like, he got ran no, out of – he'll get fired. It's hard because especially since Steve Wilkes, it's not that he and Mike McCoy were like buddies going back years and years like how it was with Arians and Bulls. He had a lot of loyalty to him. I mean, he played for him, you know, at Temple for that one. Uh, Betcher is a guy he'd known for a long time. Harold Goodwin is a guy who'd been with him on the Colts staff. He knew Tom Moore from the Peyton Manning's. These are all part of the keys that, you know, Bruce Arians had. I didn't think Amos Jones is someone he knew from Alabama. Like, so there was a connection that was there. There's not really that same type of loyalty, I think, that Steve Wilkes would have to Mike McCoy. And if you're starting to say, hey, the Cardinals, we're starting off with like an 0-5 record, at least for that right now. And Josh Rosen, like he's getting hit every day back there. I, I can't see them going and sticking with Mike McCoy. And if they do, that's going to be kind of the big thing where Michael Bidwell is going to like, hey, Steve, like we've got an issue here. This is the quarterback that you and I went and studied, spent all this time invested in. And we need to put him in a better spot for that one. And then that's going to be up to Steve to do that. So I think at least for that one right now, let's hold the horses at least um, as far as for with Mike McCoy and see what the team comes to. But I can say at least right now what we're saying is, unless there are drastic changes that come. And so far, Steve Wilkes said they're not going to be drastic changes. That's part of what has my concern is the Cardinals might be in the running, honestly, for the number one pick because the Bills are still in a division where they have, you know, the, the Jets, the Dolphins are there. The Patriots even got taken out the last week, at least by the, the Jaguars, at least for that one. So with their schedule, the Bills, at least, they've got probably a good shot of getting at least a win or two with the fact that they have a passing quarterback who can, you know, throw for some deep plays and is decent enough in the red zone in Josh Allen. Cardinals, if they keep sticking with Sam Bradford, I would totally agree that the Cardinals would be on pace to not win a game this season. If they stick with Sam Bradford the whole season, and I don't think that he's going to be playing past, you know, week three. That's just me. We'll see what happens with the team. We don't know. They may be on track, at least, for that one. So let's talk a little bit about that because, you know, if we're talking week two by the draft, the season's basically already. We can clarify. Sorry for those fans, at least, who are still thinking if this team is going to go to the postseason, they'd have to be one of the 11% of teams that do 90% of the teams who go 0-2 miss the playoffs because you have to be able to – usually you're playing one bad team, one mad team, and usually one good team or one bad team. you got to at least win one of those games to be able to – make the playoffs so let's talk a little about John who are some of the players at least that we're talking about as far as the biggest needs we're seeing with the Cardinals because right now we're assuming we won't have one at quarterback but what are we seeing at least right now as far as for how that class is showing up because this is a team that you know we're we're going to be start talking about a top five pick if the team goes 0-3 next year next week against the Bears right yeah I thought Seth Cox had a great point Seth Cox of our own Revenge of the Birds.com made a great point that the Cardinals if they have a top pick 
should not trade down, need the elite talent. I would agree unless you're getting a bounty for a quarterback. uh, You need to take the best player on the board. Uh, (laughs) Yep, whether that's Ed Oliver, star defensive tackle, uh, whether that is Nick Bosa, brother Joey Bosa, defensive end, Ohio State. Uh, the Cardinals could go a lot of different directions. Um, to me, I think there will, be, there will be a market for a quarterback. I think Drew Locke, University of Missouri, is, is playing at him in, into that oh, yeah, number one looks, pick category. He's so improved really, over the last two years. My gosh, he's looked a lot better. I'm, it's really good to see. Yeah, he, he is somebody I thought the Cardinals probably could have targeted last year. Had he declared, I think he would have been a top 20 pick. Um, but at the same time, I think the Cardinals probably need to focus along that, that defensive line. Again, what are the, the benchmark positions in football? You got your quarterback, right, presumably in Josh Rosen. You know, let's just assume DJ Humphreys has a solid season, right? Are you really going to spend a top three to five pick on an offensive tackle unless there's that, you know, rock-solid Joe Thomas, Russell Okun-type player available? There could be. Somebody could emerge right now oh, yeah. on I don't well, see that player. Well, I was going to say the player. Yeah, the players that I've there's been a couple people have talked about the Washington tackle. He's going right. to be out the earth and injury. I'm not really a big fan of that one. Two of the guys who got a chance for that one is Greg Little of Ole Miss. Now with Ole Miss, you know you got a Robert Kandichi. There's some questions, but yeah, Alabama, do you want to go down that route again? Yeah, and so sometimes it's like you you know evaluate the player, not the team, for that one. But the biggest thing is when you look at the Alabama's current left tackle, looks like he's a true stud. You know, you talk about like Ryan Kelly, maybe he wasn't as you know evident, but he did tear an ACL early in his year but the question then you have to look at in a draft where you're talking about that there's a premium on quarterbacks and a premium on people who can rush the passer if you're talking about a top three to five pick you should really be looking at a guy who can you know the two things that basically cover up your team good pass rush and quarterbacks those are the two things that basically comes down to that now sometimes if you've got a team like seattle you a lot of times maybe you can scheme with the cover three when you've got an earl thomas and a richard sherman in their prime for that but they still had michael bennett and they still had cliff Averill for that one that pass rush really was what did it so you're talking about with like looking at you know baby bosa nick bosa ed oliver at least as a defensive tackle if you are seeing defensive improvement with steve wilkes and we did already see it from one week they went from 166 rushing yards to only just about 42 for todd Gurley. now granted they basically just were able to pass down the field and Gurley was able to run into the end zone. They didn't. Really, yeah, it's gonna it's gonna improve. Really, yeah, we expect that it would be able to improve as far as they learn. We expect it now. If there still are going to be problems overall, then we'll kind of get to that. That's part of what the whole evaluation is. But you still would be looking at one of those impact defensive tackles, either in Ed Oliver or looking at one of the Clemson guys. And then if you got a shot, at least as a guy like Bosa, you take a look at how Miles Garrett has affected and changed the entire Cleveland Browns defense. You take a look at how Von Miller, when he was drafted to the Denver Broncos, they instantly became a completely different team. I think he was drafted in 2011. That was the year, I believe, where that was the Tebow year, I believe, unless I'm mistaken, at least. Von Miller, as a rookie, came in for that one, had that right away. You've already got Chandler Jones on the other side of the line. If you do end up having a chance, at least, and that's the guy, yeah, yeah. I know fans would say we need to trade back. You want to fill some of these holes and gaps. The amounts of players you get from a trade back almost never works out. You look at what the Browns gave up to get, uh, you know, with Carson Wentz for that one, the Phillies traded up. They don't really have any uh, those players. Most of the players, even from the Julio Jones trade, like they were cut there, moved down. When you trade back, if the draft is kind of a crapshoot ultimately, and you're taking a look at the guy who is the number one overall and number two overall prospects, those are the guys you take because those are not the guys who are going to be busting. The further down you get, the more likely you have, at least as far as for having that chance. And I know that was part of what we talked about this year was, you know, you don't if the Cardinals are going to trade back for that one because you've got some of the plethora of talent. Your goal, at least, was not to trade back. You were like, we should be trading up for a quarterback or trading up 
up for one of these premier players yep. even if you couldn't get a quarterback. So I would at least agree that this year is if the Cardinals are going to be in this kind of rebuild year, if you are looking at this as team 32 out of 32, if it stays like this way for the whole season, I'm sure you'll question the staff, Kime, all of that. But really, as far as this team, you want to start building for their future by adding those elite, talented pieces. And honestly, I I, I think the, uh, the only other thing I want to take a look at is if the team does start picking up wins in the 6 to 10 range, we might have been talking about wide receivers tonight because Fitz isn't getting any younger. You're wanting to make sure you can have a guy who – you know, is going to basically be a great fit for your quarterback. I know that A.J. Brown, and even we talked to uh, Cardinals fans, are already bringing up Nikhil Harry, at least. He's not a guy who can separate very Des Bryant-like with the back shoulder, but this is a team where you're going to be looking at the free agency next year of having a huge opportunity of, you know, you got like $70 million in cap space. You've got guys who are going to be, you know, returning from last year to this year. You're only going to have probably the best of the players who are going to be there, who you're going to build around moving forward. You're going to have a free agency you'll be able to spend on, and then you'll have a draft where you've got all of your draft picks, including your second rounder. If you've got a high, you know, second round pick, you can even trade up into the first round for that one, get another premium talented guy, get another contract year if you like a guy after that one. There's, there's a lot to be optimistic about this team, I think, overall in the long term. But that ultimately does, again, start with the quarterback, starts with basically having a head coach who we can at least have confidence that he's not overwhelmed. And it starts by having an offense that's building kind of around this team for the future. And currently right now, Arizona Cardinals, they're, they're doing none of that. And that's why I think a lot of fans are angry. That's why they're frustrated. I even woke, had an article I wrote on Revenge of the Birds this week talking about what Cardinals fans want to hear is not what Steve Wilson had in that press conference. They want to hear, hey, we understand this. We made mistakes. We're going to work to correct, fix it and correct it and then be able to see those results. Yeah, I, I think it's a talent problem too, Blake. They just they don't have enough talent right now to be considered, you know, even an average NFL team. And that's a kind of problem ultimately too. Is if that's yeah. the, if that's the case, then you've had all off season at least. Like you've even cut loose of Honey Badger and cut loose of Jared Valdir at least. Two guys that's, who you know that's an off season after getting rid of Tony Jefferson and Calais Campbell too. Yeah, it's just it's rough because you're seeing all this talent. You're like, sure, you can't keep all this talent, but you've got to replace it. And honestly, the reason why the Cardinals are in this spot is partially because they've not been able to replace it. They still waited a year long for the quarterback. Now, maybe you end up lucking out and Rosen comes in. Maybe it's like a Deshaun Watson type, uh, you know, season where you're able to see kind of like some of that hope and progress just because of that turnaround. But ultimately, that's just part of the reason why Steve Kime, like, I don't think he's on the hot seat, but I think that you can say that Mike McCoy certainly is for Steve Wilkes starting to get warm, and that chain of command is just going to go all the way up at least. So right now with the Cardinals, the State of the Union is, you know, Cardinals fans, like, they're frustrated, they're upset. I understand. There's no reason to be patient and wait for Josh Rosen at least, and maybe just be patient for a week. If it's week four and we still are talking about Sam Bradford starting, then we're going to be able to go off. But after that, it's just keep letting it – let this team go and these coaches prove themselves. Let them go yeah. and – yeah, go for it. Yeah, and even back to the draft, like next year, it's one of the best defensive line classes maybe in the last decade. I mean, we thought the 2015 class was going to be good with Robert Kandichi and and a lot of those those elite players in that draft. This this has a chance to be a historic defensive class. And so if you're able to at least show a little bit of offensive momentum with Rosen, you can go into the offseason, like you mentioned, with that $70 million, not have to reach for a receiver in the draft you can get a number two receiver in free agency maybe Larry comes back Christian Kirk is hopefully ascending you can continue to throw quality targets at, at Rosen you know I, I I'm a firm believer in building your offensive line through free agency now with a lot of these you know young players in the draft just not being prepared and we've seen Steve time one area he really struggles in is evaluating offensive line talent in the draft and so you could focus primarily the majority of your draft on defense next year and you've got a defensive head coach I mean, 
to me, if you partner Rosen with an elite pass rush and you're able to, to, to have success, I mean, that's, that's what Peyton Manning did all those years in Indianapolis with Bill Polian. They had a great pass rush. They had a league because their quarterback was elite, and that's how they ran away with, with division title after division title. Uh, you're, you're just set up for success so much by the fact that playing Rosen, getting him experience because you can really go into this year with, with a lot of different momentum. Mitch Trubisky, by all accounts, was terrible last year for the Chicago Bears, but they talked themselves into the fact that they were going to be competitive this year based on the fact that he played last year. I mean, outside of, like, Jared Goff's rookie season, unless you're just straight terrible, like, most of the time it's looked at, oh, he's a rookie, it's growing pain, so on and so forth. We're going to be better next year. They add some pieces. You talk about elevating the players around him, getting more talent on both sides of the ball, really complimenting your quarterback, and you can sell that to, to your fan base. What you can't sell is continuing to play a quarterback who has no future with your teams, who's overpaid, and is statistically the worst start in the NFL. And so I, I think that you can get some good mojo going for this fan base, even if you're not winning games. Like, if you're competitive, you got to win one or two. But if you're competitive and you're in every game and you're, you're not quitting – and you're showing your fan base that, you know, we've got, we're playing a lot of young guys. I mean, the, the worst thing to do is lose with older players. But you're playing young guys, and you've got some consistency going into next year, some continuity with a group. Like, offensively, David Johnson, Christian Kirk, and Josh Rosen, those big three come to mind with maybe DJ Humphreys playing a full season healthy. Like, that's some continuity. That's something you can get behind oh, yeah, as, 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 you know, building, building blocks for 2019. But – until that starts to happen, it's, I, I understand with fans' frustration because it's tough to be positive. For sure, for sure. All right, we got our final segment coming up next here on the Bird Gang Blitz. We had a lot of fans who kind of reached in with their questions kind of coming up. There's a whole lot we have to get into, at least just to go as we kind of wrap up for our last segment here on the Bird Gang Blitz. Well, welcome back in here to the Bird Gang Blitz. So, uh, yeah, John, we've got a couple of questions, at least overall, through fans. The biggest thing, honestly, overall was, like, a lot of people wanted to sound off. Like, you know, the radio was just buzzing with people and kind of going up all day, at least, for going on with just, like, you know, just people exposing frustration for the team, looking at McCoy, looking at Wilkes, looking at a lot of people even honestly believe blamed Steve Kine, at least, for letting the Cardinals, you know, kind of get into the spot where we're starting to question the talent, at least on the team. Um, we got at least a couple of questions here that we'll get into here for the most part. Um, let me go ahead. So one of the ones that I think we wanted to get into that someone at least asked was, um, this is KT show, is which one of you monsters said eight wins for the Cardinals this year? <laughs> I'm just going to say, well, uh, John, like, did we say eight wins this year? No, never. Uh, I think I was on the record as <laughs> – maybe four wins uh, in over the, the beginning of the summer, maybe five. Uh, but I, I yeah, we I think I said, Rosen. we went higher with Rosen once. Yeah. Again, but it was, yeah. I think I even, I, I think I knew that they were going to play Bradford early and I knew that was going to be a mistake and that they would lose games. But yeah, I think I said five and 11 is what I initially had said. I it was not on the, the eight and eight hype train. I, I thought a lot of, the Cardinals wins last year were smoking mirrors and, and Bruce Arians, which is unfortunate, but I mean, I didn't it's great like great that they were, because when you can talk about what it takes to win in the NFL, like that's, it, it takes some incredible talent to be able to like, the fact was he went into that season and passed up Ken Wisenhunt, despite the fact that you lost Carson Palmer, like, what was it like week six or so like that one. A shot cost Carson Palmer too. Yeah. 
I know. And it was like he had Carson Palmer for that one. But Palmer, you know, like Palmer probably didn't even start like a third of the games for Bruce Arians. And he still leaves as like the winningest head coach in Cardinals history. Like, sure, it was smoke and mirrors now. But ultimately, it was still like the defense was still playing strong and suffocating. They were able to manufacture at least enough of an offense for that one. They were bold and they did choices. Sometimes it backfired. We saw that in the 2017 season when they blitzed Carson Wentz and Arians is calling for it. It's like blitz. Just blitz because you have to. Carson wants to burn them. It was just a poor decision for that one. But, yeah, I totally agree with you there. All right, let's go ahead and see. Um, we got a serious question. Under what are the, uh, This is from a teaching aid, Jeff, here. Under what circumstance do you see the coaching staff either making personnel changes, as hinted by Winks, and is there a scenario that ends with a change to the coaching staff itself? So we talked a little bit about this, at least. We don't really see it. Even if there's a 2-14 and 14 season, you don't see it. I think that that would get it done. John, what do you think is going to be the spot as far as for making personnel changes? Let's go with, and say, non-Rosen personnel changes because that's probably going to be the first one that would change. What would be the other big changes that you would see on the Cardinals roster? Like I maybe like inserting like a J.J. Nelson into the starting lineup off, opposite Larry – um, you know, on the offensive line, who do you really have to plug in that's going to, you know, produce better than, than what you have? I don't think any of those – I mean, we saw that second-team offensive line in the preseason. It was an epic, epic disaster. You're not sitting David. You're not sitting Larry. Maybe Ricky Seals-Jones once Jermaine Gresham comes back, but he's coming off a, you know, torn ligament in his leg. I don't I don't know. I think personnel-wise, I think that's more having to do with the defense when, when Steve says that because I think offensively you are what you are until Rosen plays. Defensively, uh, especially in the – you know, hopefully he's referencing the situation at linebacker and you're going to play your two first-round linebackers. But, I, again, I, I think that was just something he just says because he has to say it. There's nobody on the roster right now in my opinion, that you could plug in that you're not playing outside a quarterback and it's going to make much of a difference. For sure, for sure. All right, next question, at least, that we have overall is going to be from Avice. Uh, I think it's SOAP, <laughs> just the way that it is for the AA SOAP, we'll call it. Uh, yeah, you talked about how soon until McCoy or Wilkes, jo- Wilkes jobs are in jeopardy. I think that the McCoy's job, at least, if you get to 0-6 for that one, I-, I don't know if you can see Mike McCoy making it. He was basically booted at week six last year with the Broncos. And we see when teams start again, these perpetual losing patterns, at least, without them, if they still have not played Rosen at that point for them, they're still playing it for them. I think that that's going to be – as far as for Wilkes jobs in jeopardy, I think you'd have to be looking again at, like, you know, 2-14 and 14 if they get the number one pick, 0-16. If you start to see it turn around and have some progress, I do think that you're going to keep Steve Wilkes at least for year two because it seems like they're trusting having a process. Maybe some of that changes if the team's struggles do continue and keep up for that one, but it'd have to come from Bidwell for that. John, your thoughts at least as far as for McCoy or Wilkes? Yeah, I think McCoy is fair game after probably the bye for me. I think he could get fired and they could give Leftwich a try second half of the season to see what he could do. I think Wilkes, again, you'd have to either have like a disastrous situation inside the locker room, players revolting, uh, that kind of thing. I don't expect that. Wilkes is a high character guy. I think players and, and, uh, uh, front office people like like him uh this so a, i think a high character team that's the other thing yeah. like you don't have like a like a Fitzgerald I think I said a few years right. ago you don't have a, one you don't right. have a Dez in your locker room that's what yeah. people are saying let's bring Dez Bryant you think that that's what this team needs come on no i think i think Wilkes gets fired if they go on 16 yeah, and uh, for me, I, I, we'll see what goes on. I think it'd have to be anywhere from zero to two wins because at that point, 
you've had all the issues and problems and you're not able to fix or progress or get to them. And you've got a hard schedule. Like we're, we're going to be like, you know, looking at it where Josh Rosen's going to be probably playing at some point in green Bay against, you know, his kind of mentor in Aaron Rodgers, And that's going to be a game that you're probably going to lose. It'll be tough for that. Uh, another Love that. That's going to be awesome though. Like think about that right, right now, like how much fun it's going to be to watch that game. Like, you know, the Packers defense isn't great. Like Rosen on the road in Lambeau with no expectations. I can't wait for that. Yep. And now that brings up an interesting point because most of the Cardinals fans I know when they were looking at it, we, the coach that we had hyped up the most, at least to begin the season, was John Filippo. as far as for like looking at the offensive, kind of the almost antithesis of a guy that they hired in Wilkes. I don't think we had a problem with Wilkes here. Just like, yeah, it's about quarterback development, passing league. It's interesting when you're talking about like, you know, because that Packers defense, he hung, I think it was like 400, was it 484 or some like ridiculous amount of yards that Kirk Cousins, that offense hung on the Packers. They still don't have a run game that they never really have with Filippo, but it's just kind of interesting at least as far as for looking at it because if you do get into that stage at least where you're like if Wilkes is over his head he doesn't have it there's going to be questions more of those that will pop up especially since I know that was early reports with that Filippo might have been an option at least for the Cardinals eventually find out nope no he's not an option they're not going they're going with Mike McCoy for that one. Nope they don't want any part of that Eagles why would you want any part of that Eagles offense that won the Super Bowl last oh, year? Oh yeah I know who, who cares that Carson Wentz went from you know a North Dakota State at least guy who you know went and all of a sudden changed and he ends up basically in his second year is you know like a, a league MVP up until he tears his ACL sure uh let's see so here's another good one are Reddick and Buck barely playing issues with the coaching staff the scheme they're in or reflective of the players and is that a kind issue for that John I'll let you take this one with Buchanan and Reddick with why they're playing is it a kind issue is it a player issue for that one or is they just not a good fit overall for this scheme that Steve Wilkes is trying to run well, if your scheme doesn't include first-round talent linebacker, then it's a pretty bad scheme. Uh, I think it's adjusting on the part of Reddick. I think it's Buchanan being out all summer with an injury. Dayon Buchanan is a competent NFL starter when he's healthy, if not a good player. Uh, I don't think that has anything to do, to do with his draft status. Two, three years ago, he was kind of you know revitalizing the position of linebacker, reinventing it, if you will. Uh, and then I just we just haven't seen enough of Hassan Reddick to decide whether or not his – draft status was warranted I mean like look he was the 13th overall player and he's not playing on defense like that's a problem like clearly in practice there are some gaps there whether it's talent or whether it's you know can he comprehend the playbook the schemes that kind of thing I mean at least last year when he was a rotational player he's playing a lot of snaps great fit for him even though I think they should have put him in an inside linebacker next to you, Buchanan. But, you know, Bynes has played well. But, again, like, Bynes, what is your future with, with him? He's on a two-year deal. He's, you know, older than these two players. His ceiling's not as high. But, again, like, it's it looks – it reminds me of the Wizard Hunt days where they take players high and then they go and sign street free agents and give them the quality snaps. Like, that's the most depressing thing is, like, oh, we can't stop the run. Took two inside linebackers in the first round over the past, like, three, four years – and they're not playing. That's a problem. Buchanan looks terrible. Well, he didn't practice all summer. That's probably why. That's a problem. Hassan Reddick this past weekend barely saw the field. And really, like, when you took Hassan Reddick 13th overall, the, the mindset was he not only could play on first down, he was he was never going to leave the field. Like, mm-hmm. he, can, he can run a 4-4. He can run a 4-5. He's a, com- a complete freak. And now he just suddenly can't play. I mean, like, that, that could go down as one of Kime's worst picks, especially when you consider – you know, the Mahomes and the Watson, you know, situation right in front of them. 
Yeah, and for me with Reddick, it was interesting because I've had that conversation with a lot of like you know some of the you know the draft uh, some of the draft Twitter people at least who are like you know like a lot of fun with those scouting each year. But some of them were looking at Reddick at least for that one and saying, look, this is a guy who, as you're talking about, like he's got the athleticism, the profile. He's a bit of the smaller side as far as like he's only six one. He's like about 230 pounds or so. So you're kind of looking at a guy who. When you're talking about, you know, as far as like the elite pass rush, he didn't have as much of the size, but you look at what he did in college. And this is a dude who like the, the interesting comparison that they made, at least with Arians, the team said that, yeah, we're comparing him to Von Miller coming out. That's how, how highly we think of him. Von Miller basically fits as like a 4-3 linebacker. This is a guy who's like that type of a fit. And you're not playing him with that. You decided to move him to inside linebacker. Their hope was to let Carlos Dansby kind of be the guy. But in college, you're looking at when he was a defensive end. He was a light defensive end. But he had 47 tackles for loss overall for that one. He, like, had – it was 22 and a half his last year as a senior. He basically, like, led the – I believe it was college football with tackles for loss for that one. He had nine and a half sacks. And you're talking about a dude who basically, like, had an interception as well. This is an athletic dude, forced three fumbles. This is a guy who is a – designed to basically hunt the quarterback and you're basically putting him off the ball and having to have him be a guy in coverage trying to use it so I just think that with Hassan Reddick I think he's just been miscast uh, maybe you're going to have to have issues where maybe he's not going to be light enough Chandler Jones had to gain some weight to play defensive end but I really think that this is just a team with the Cardinals where that was his entire skill set coming off of college was being allowed to kind of hunt and roam and use that athleticism at the line to use his hands for that one and you're not seeing any of that at least right now so for me I do think that that is something that does fall onto the coaching and the coaching staff and I would say hey put him into that type of role you take a look at a guy like how the Vikings have taken a smaller guy with a lot of similar skill set in Danielle Hunter and they really have turned him into just this kind of pass rush monster for that one so I do think the Cardinals really are going to have to kind of take a look for that one maybe he's not going to be that type of a guy you know he, he they put him in kind of more of a pass rushing role later in the year sometimes they played him a little off but I really think that this is a situation where the Cardinals have to really adapt to their player and their personnel. And right now, I don't think that they're doing any of that. Uh, as for Buchanan, uh, you look at some of the plays and he's a light guy. I, I remember just seeing kind of, he like was rushing toward the guy and he basically just got shoved, flung back. It looked like almost a kind of like a rag doll for that one to his size. I don't think that he's a guy who's as much of a fit in this scheme as they thought coming in, because I think that they're wanting to play a scheme that it's basically like your Luke, Luke Keekley. And your Thomas Davis, these two kind of massive freaks who have that size at linebacker. You have to adjust to Dayon, maybe make him like you're in the box safety if you have to in the scheme, or just go back to doing what he was strong. I think that he's been miscast here for that one. Maybe it's not the right fit as far as for that one, where he's kind of too much of a tweener, where maybe it isn't going to be a long-term type of NFL thing. But you've seen four years of solid play. They even changed a position, called it the dollar linebacker, and team started adjusting, wanting to get one of those guys. So I'm not too concerned, at least, about Buchanan. What I am concerned about, honestly, right now, is Steve Wilkes and Al Holcomb being able to adjust to their guys. Hey, well, I, I will make a quick point, Blake. I think, mm-hmm. I think Wilkes and Kime both need uh, Hassan Reddick to work to save their jobs. I think, yeah. I think both of them need Dan him to Rosen. <laughs> Yeah. I, I think both of them need him to, to contribute at some point. So I, I agree with you. I don't think they're going to – scrap them at you know I think they'll assess it probably hopefully the quarter of the season and say how can we get this guy involved more yeah for sure for sure especially since it was a guy they had as ranked as a top five player you know on their board for that one not even playing that's going to be something that reflects either on you whether it's the fit or whether it's on the GM you ultimately have to reflect on it for that one 
Uh, and then the last question, at least that we have also, at least is when should Rosen, you know, get the nod to start? Well, we can answer that. Uh, should be now. Uh, that's how it should be, at least for that one. Uh, the coaching and the scheming should change as well. Or switch quarterback and see what happens. I think that here's what, and this is where maybe you change the quarterback, at least I think is probably about week four, because you know, you're going like, you're going backwards with Bradford. I think that if you're wanting to make a change with the scheme, you take a look at that bye week. And if you let Mike McCoy go, you then get about two weeks or so. And you've got Byron Leftwich writing there, a guy who was in the Bruce Arians' aggressive scheme. you got two weeks for him to work in the different plays, to make adjustments, to make the differences to the play calling. I think if you're going to make any type of a scheme change as far as for what the offense, you're not really going to change the scheme. You're just going to say, we're going to change the play calling, the mentality. We're going to kind of maybe go back to some of what the strengths were of putting Fitzgerald in the slot and not lining him up. You know, you don't line him up outside, at least. That's not it's like you you want to see the mismatches it's not really what his strength is you put david johnson on the interior for that one you go to some of these two running back sets perhaps for that one that you got to see that would be the time frame that i would say if you're going to make a change for that one if mike mccoy still is not impressing or you're still seeing issues that's what my take on that would be uh, john your thoughts at least before we kind of wrap it up for tonight yep couldn't couldn't say any better i think the bye week is the mike mccoy assess week where you decide whether or not you want to pull the trigger and you can go a different direction but I, part of the reason I think Mike McCoy's sticking with Bradford, he probably thinks he's safe until Rosen starts to play. And if Rosen and this offense continue to struggle, then they'll make a change. I think. I think yeah. that'll be the, the big, the big, the big move that we will see this year if the Cardinals continue down this trajectory. But uh, yeah, I think Gamble tweeted this out today before the press conference. He must have had some information that Rosen's going to go week four. So I, again, I I disagree with it. Should have been playing week one. I think that Redskins game. Uh, was a winnable game, even with a uh, rookie quarterback making his first start. But you get him in front of the home crowd, you're gonna you're gonna produce some points. You're gonna you're, we'll see some magic from Rosen this year. Definitely. Uh, so yes, yeah, so let's go on for that one. Uh, any kind of final thoughts? I know the Bears game is coming up. I think with Khalil Mack for me, I'm after watching him just kind of wreck havoc on that Seahawks without the offensive line. I've got no problem with holding off for at least another week, and then you can see, yep, we've seen everything we need to. Sam Bradford, we're making the immediate changes. You can even basically say after that game, if you're still seeing the same issues, even after you know the adjustments you're supposed to be seeing from McCoy, you're going to be able to say, hey, yeah, I know McCoy's like you could even openly have teams like start talking about him being on the hot seat when they might look at moving on. John, as we kind of wrap up and close tonight what is it that you're looking for for the Arizona Cardinals I think the one thing that we haven't talked about that we mentioned that's super important at least is they seem to be lacking an alpha dog on the defensive side especially for that one hopefully a Marcus Golden can come back but what are you kind of looking for for this team at least for next week in a game that we're assuming is probably going to be another tough game to watch for the Cardinals against the Bears unless maybe they decide to say hey it's halftime we're bringing in Rosen at least here now to you know, <laughs> kind of see if there's a spark for this team what are you looking for at least for the Cardinals yeah, it's funny you just said that. I think that's absolutely a possibility with, with Wilkes on the hot seat now. Uh, I think I think uh, Rosen could see the start of the second half if Bradford completely, you know, pees down his leg like he has the first two games and, and is just a complete non-factor. I think I think we're, we're going to see increased reps this week, even though Bradford's starting. And I think Rhodes, Rosen could play in the second half. I honestly do. But from a from a defensive personnel standpoint, you mentioned it. Like, who's going to step up and be that alpha male? Uh, well, until the two alpha male linebackers get in the game and, and, and they're able to contribute, you know, they can't really do much now. Um, but you're going up against a really good interior offensive line for the Bears. You're going up against a defense that right now looks like a, a top five unit with Vic Fangio kind of running the show. It's amazing what they were able to keep him in the fold and add, you know, defensive player of the year, Khalil Mack to a group that was already improving last year. But, again, this game's at home. I mean, they, they, they're they on a short week. they got to travel out west. I mean, that's not easy. We saw what the, 
the 06 Bears uh, en route to their Super Bowl uh, had to do and almost lost to Matt Leinert uh, on a you know Monday night game that they kind of took for granted against the quote-unquote terrible Cardinal team that was winless. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I, I think the Cardinals could – if it, again, if Rosen's playing, I would, I would think it would be a competitive game. I really do. I know I, I sound like a broken record, but – you know, as long as you got Bradford in there, there's a chance for you to, to, to be shut out. And so, um, you know, somebody – Larry always seems to produce in, in games like this when the team's backup is against the wall. And I'm sure there's going to be a, a, a huge emphasis to get David Johnson going, but you're going to really struggle to move the football on that Bears defensive front. Yeah, I, I hope so. I just, I just have a feeling at least we'll see a couple of new wrinkles or some other different stuff. But, again, it's going to be the same old offense and same old Bradford for that one. But yeah, no, we, next week we got the Bears game. We'll probably see if we can get on at least whether it's the, the day after everything. Uh, thank you guys for listening at least. Um, next week they'll place Mitchell Trubisky, who basically is averaging about 5.4 yards per attempt on the season at least. And uh, let's just say that's what basically one step ahead of Sam Bradford right now. So we'll see what goes on for next week. If the Cardinals end up seeing another blowout loss for that one, you're going to start to have you know a lot more serious questions about the moxie and makeup at least of the team but especially the coaching staff taking this eight and eight roster with you know Gabbert and Stanton and kind of turning into like as we're saying right now a 32 of 32 the only way at least to be able to go is up we're just gonna have to evaluate take it game by game week by week see how it is um thanks and props to all the Cardinals fans for listening to us thank you again for your questions you can always use you know the bird gang blitz hashtag at least for them a bird gang uh, I think we I don't think we have an actual town name for it. if you want to go with bird gang mailbag as well for a hashtag I'll make sure I'm checking that weekly for your questions Meantime, uh, where can they find you, John, on Twitter? I am at Johnny's Football. And, yeah, guys, the questions were great this week. Keep them coming. I know fans are really interacting uh, on Twitter with these early struggles, so we're kind of reaping the benefits, Blake. But, but love that interaction. Love these questions. It really brings a new dimension to the podcast. Absolutely, yeah. And then you can follow me at Blake Murphy 7 I'm not planning on changing that anytime soon. As far as the podcast, um, we are on Stitcher Radio, at least, with that one, if you're a Stitcher listener. Uh, I've been working on trying to make sure I can get all the podcasts previously. We've had downloaded and then upload them to SoundCloud as well. That way you'll be able to have our full library there. You can find us as well always on Blog Talk Radio. We'll be on Apple Podcasts uh, as well. If you subscribe to the show, make sure that you do like and subscribe, as, they, as the kids are tend to say, at least for that one. Uh, do make sure you leave a rating. The, it really does help if you love this podcast and what we do if you do give us a five-star rating for that it will be able to help us especially with all of that because you know we like to say like we want to make sure we're giving you like you know bs this is going to be like straightforward cards content we're going to give we don't have any type of team angle or vendetta just you know we want to basically have kind of <laughs> clearly we don't have a team yeah. <laughs> <laughs> clearly obviously yes exactly no the team would have been like you know bringing us into the office to talk if this is the point but yeah so make sure that you do give us those different ratings for that one and uh, make sure you keep listening thank you guys here uh for me uh on behalf of johnny we'll be signing off for that one from the bird game blitz podcast have a good one folks and we'll talk to you again next week we'll be hopefully talking about a, you know a josh rosen soon to be starting in week four take care I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans, America's premier home purchase lender. We've created a new way to protect you from unpredictable interest rates. Our exclusive Rate Shield approval. First, we lock your interest rate for up to 90 days. Then, if rates go up, your rate stays locked. But if rates go down, your rate drops. Either way, you win. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. Racial approval only valid on certain 30-year fixed rate loans. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. Licensed in all 50 states. NMLS number 3030. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply. I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans, America's premier home purchase lender. We've created a new way to protect you from unpredictable interest rates. Our exclusive Rate Shield approval. First, we lock your interest rate for up to 90 days. Then, if rates go up, your rate stays locked. But if rates go down, your rate drops. Either way, you win.
Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. Racial approval only valid on certain 30-year fixed rate loans. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. License in all 50 states. NMLS number 3030. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply. Connect with others who work for themselves. Connect with like minds, new ideas, and fellow creators. Connect with innovators, industry experts, mentors, and potential partners. Connect with risk takers. Connect with opportunity and new possibilities. Connect with your inner leader, explorer, or inventor. Connect with what your business needs to succeed at QuickBooks Connect. Join us November 6th at the San Jose Convention Center. QuickBooks Connect, backing your path to success. Register now at QuickBooksConnect.com. Hi, I'm Karis Fisher. I want to tell you about another podcast you should check out. It's called Recode Decode. Every week I talk to tech and media's key players about how they're changing our world. I interview tech executives like Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, political figures like Hillary Clinton, and media personalities like John Carreyou literally wrote the book on Theranos. Once again, the name of the show is Recode Decode, hosted by me, Kara Swisher. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. See you there.